Tundra Talk is brought to you by Frontier Outfitters and Century Hardware, your locally owned source for hunting, fishing, and shooting gear in interior Alaska. They sell proven gear that will tackle whatever Alaskan tasks you need it to, and Frontier always stays current with gear for the season. Whether you're baiting bears in the spring, fishing, camping, or dip netting in the summer, you're looking for game bags and moose camp gear in the fall, uh, if you need to stock up on trapping lures or just get everything you need to go ice fishing, they've got you covered. They always carry a wide variety of Alaskan-proven clothing and boots, camping gear, meat processing supplies, guns, ammo, reloading and shooting supplies, as well as camping gear and backpacking food. Downstairs in Century Hardware, you'll find a full hardware store naturally, and uh, you'll also find your snow machine, ATV, marine accessories down there. They go out of their way to stock plenty, plenty of quality, useful equipment. And whether you're gearing up for a hunting or fishing trip, working on a never-ending home improvement project, or anything in between, it's usually a one-stop shop. Frontier Outfitters is located on 3rd and Old Steese in Fairbanks, and they have a second location in North Pole, so make sure you stop in next time you need to gear up. This episode of Tundra Talk is also brought to you by Hedgecock Group Realtor Rick Lindsay, a guy that can take care of just about any of your real estate needs in the Fairbanks area. Now, the Hedgecock Group has been in Fairbanks North Pole real estate market since the early 80s, and their service is tailored to meet the diverse needs of home buyers in interior Alaska. Now, Rick has lived in Fairbanks for a long time and understands a lot of the less obvious ins and outs of buying and selling property around here. You know, things like water holding tanks and permafrost and all that jazz. Fairbanks is a really unique place to live, and having a realtor that knows what to look for in a quality place can make all the difference. Rick's a Marine Corps veteran and will work hard to get you exactly what you need. And if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in the Fairbanks or North Pole area, reach out to Rick at 907-378-6780. And go check out his Instagram at R-L-I-N-D-S-E-Y-113 at rlindsey113. He's really a passionate outdoorsman. He's just like us. He's one of us. And he loves to share his adventures on there. And he's got a pretty a pretty nice cranker of a ram that I'm jealous of. So go check him out. I know there's lots of you out there that dream of moving to Alaska, but it's a big step and can be kind of intimidating. Landing a solid job before you move can make things run a lot smoother, but you might not be sure of the job market or even really where to look. Now, if you're an experienced ASC certified or GM factory trained technician, I've got good news for you. Chevrolet GMC of Fairbanks is looking to hire qualified service department techs, and they've got enough work to keep you pretty much as busy as you want to be. Fairbanks Chevy has a very busy shop, but they allow for flexible scheduling. They offer top market pay rates with paid overtime, a great benefits package with 401k retirement plan with contribution matching, and you know, for a service tech, you can really make a good solid living. They, they can offer relocation assistance to help get you up here, paid training to get you spun up, and they have a well-lit and well-maintained facility, and these are all things that I mean, help contribute to a great work atmosphere. On top of all that, they make it a priority to allow you to take your vacation time during hunting season, something that is really tough in the, in the service and construction industries here in Fairbanks and can sometimes be a deal breaker for folks like us. Good help and hard workers are always welcome in Fairbanks, and if this is the opportunity you've been waiting for, apply at FairbanksChevy.com or call their service manager, Rick Lindsay, directly at 907-215-6444. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's how you do it. All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, sitting down tonight with the cycling cyclone, the the most interesting man north of the Alaska Range. That's Matt, new. I haven't heard that one. Matt Herkstroder. I made that one up today. I put some Perfect. thought into that. <laughs> Perfect. The stuff doesn't come naturally to me, so I, I have to like spend some time thinking of, of a real zinger. <laughs> I'm kind of the same. Got way. your are wearing are y'all REI'd yeah. out? And this is this is REI would be proud of me. This is my bird hunting. Uh, oh yeah, jacket. So you're both snooty and a granola cruncher. <laughs> I might have a fat bike here before long. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. It's uh, yeah, you've been up to a lot. I don't think I've seen you all summer. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we have really. I I think I've texted you a couple times or yeah. whatever, but. It's been a busy year. It has been. I've been doing moose a variety, a whole variety of things. So it's my e- even still. It's been uh, there. You go. My dog's making racket in the background. He's all right. I don't think I'll kill you today. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, he's all right. But no, just a lot of stuff going on and. Yeah, I mean a lot of, a lot of fun stuff, but yeah, like I start, too, so. I'll start here and oh, Herkstroder's cycling the Denali Highway, and <laughs> maybe I'll send you a picture of me and my spandex. Your spandex? Even though yeah. I didn't wear them, believe me. Oh man, yeah, that uh, was that kind of. I mean, you're kind of like me in some ways. You just like get a hair, a wild idea, or I, like get some kind of idea, and then. Once it sticks, you just have to go do yeah. it. Yeah, well, and I've kind of wanted to do something like that for a while because, I mean, I've rode my mountain bike, you know. I mean, obviously as a kid, and then I never rode bike for a long time. And then I think it was in 2016, I bought a mountain bike, a new one. And then I, I was more or less just riding it for exercise because I don't like mm-hmm. to run. Like, oh, I, hate, yeah. I hate it. I'm not running anywhere. But mountain bike and i was like you know just go rip around and yeah you know it's it was fine and then uh i kind of just saw these get some of these guys doing like you know a lot of times before i go to bed i'm like youtube and you know and i'm just watching some youtube video and i came across this dude that's riding the dalton highway to south america Poof. on his mountain bike wow and so i got like enthralled with watching this dude do this and I thought, oh, that'd be kind of cool. I mean, you get to see a bunch of stuff. And and so then I just thought, well, that's more than obviously I can yeah. do. I'm not, I mean, I'm not seasoned at it. Actually, first day of the Denali, even, I thought I may have bit off more than I could chew. Seriously, I was like, that first day was a grind. Like, Which end did you start from? I started from Paxton. Oh, so you're just like up. It's, and, and it's kind of funny because I ran into some other people, and I know a lot of other people do it. Um but I ran into a lot of people coming from the Cantwell end. And to me that it's like, if you, if you look, I, you know, I just looked on my GPS, I plotted a course on my GPS, just following the highway. Mm -hmm. It just looked at the gain and loss and elevation, you know, (laughs) he's like yanking around a bike helmet. I got to go intervene here real quick. I'm listening though. That's one. That one's quieter. Yeah, until it like turns on the electronic. 
or, or it's the, <laughs> the cables and rips everything, <laughs> it rips everything the off the table. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, I just, uh, I just, that's why I started from Paxton. It, yeah. That first day of riding, I mean, you have, you know, roughly 30, 30 miles, let's say mm-hmm. roughly that's all uphill. It's basically you're climbing. I mean, there's flat, there's spots. But that, basically until you get to Tangle Lakes, I mean, you're yes. climbing. Yes. You're gaining elevation all the way to there. And, you know, it's like sheep hunting. The first couple of days are just always a grind. Yep. And that's it. Really, that bike ride reminded me a lot of sheep hunting because of that. And like, you're like scared at first. You're like, oh man, this is going to oh, really suck. Yeah. <laughs> and it's being a new thing for you. Yes. Like, it's not like you'd been on a bunch of long bike rides like Dude, that. The, the so longest rides I had done since then. So, if you want to call it training, which I don't even call it that because I was only doing it, I was doing it for a few days a week for a while. And then when it led up to right before I was going to go, I was trying to do it every night. I was doing about 11 to 13 miles a night, mm-hmm. and I was doing it with a loaded bike because that's the first thing that I learned real quick. Loaded bike versus an empty bike. Different story. It's, it's like going for a day hike out at Chena Hot Springs at you know Granite Tours with a little tiny backpack on and then loading it with 60 pounds and then going sheep hunting. Yeah. I mean, that's it's it's that different, you know? I, I never actually weighed my bike with all my gear and stuff on it. I'm guessing it was probably around 75 to 80 pounds. That's pretty significant. It's, yeah. It's more than my Huffy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but anyway, it was day one. I, you know, I kind of, I planned five days to do it, but I, you know, I brought my fly rod cause I was going to fish, you know, I'm like, I'm not riding across here without fishing. Yeah. And I debated bringing my big camera. And then I talked myself into it because I was like, you know, I'll see, like, if I don't take it, I'll see, like, a Wolverine with babies yeah. or something. Like, once in a <laughs> something lifetime, crazy, yeah. something nuts, and I won't have anything, you know? And so I just, I was like, screw it. I'm just taking it. And hauling that thing is a different animal. Like, I'm still kind of refining the best way to haul it on that bike. Yeah. It, what I found is just a backpack. I didn't want to wear a backpack. But that seemed to be the best option. Mm-hmm. I have some other things that I'm going to probably try this next summer. Um, and I'm hoping that will work a little bit better. But we'll see how that works. I just got to test it and see. Yeah. I don't – the problem with having it on the bike, it's hitting – it's it's a lot of vibration. and Oh, yeah. You know, when this it's – stuff's not good for electronics bumps. Yeah, and- I mean, I already had an issue with my big lens this year. I thought I was going to have to send it in. And I was actually able to fix it myself. Just by happenstance, I got on some forum, photography forum, researching that particular lens and problems that it may have had. Because I had this rattle that developed in it. Mm. Right after that trip, the day I got back from my bike ride, you'd pick the lens up and it would like rattle, like something was bouncing around inside of it. And you could look through the front element and stuff and... Not see anything. You're just envisioning glass getting scratched in well, there by something bouncing yeah. around. Yeah, and to me, what it sounded like was a screw. Oh. Like, a screw came out, and it's in there somewhere. It still functioned fine, you know? Image quality wasn't any different. Everything worked. Well, I found this, this one happenstance, this forum, and uh, this guy said, he goes, oh, that's common with those. And so I kind of... 
I he he described how to fix it. He goes, dude, it'll take because I got a quote of six hundred dollars mm-hmm. to get it repaired. Probably without, and they did without even, including shipping and insurance. Yeah. And, yeah, and so it was like, I'm like, I don't know what I want to, you know, spend that kind of money on 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 that particular lens, you know. But anyway, but it's got to get fixed. I I didn't want it to cause a problem later on down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, if I just said whatever, it still yeah. works and just left it. Um, but anyway, yeah, it literally took me ten minutes and I fixed it myself. Well, that's and cool. it was it was a screw. It was a screw. And there's like it's hard to describe, but there's like this retaining ring that f- holds the front element into the barrel of the mm-hmm. lens. And there's there was three screws, I believe, three or four, that hold that in. And then there's a ring that goes around it. And it had I think four that hold the element in, and then three that hold the ring on the top of the element. And then there's a seal, like a gasket that you peel off. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the screws bounced out, and it was between the actual element, the outer part of the element, and the retaining ring. Okay. And so the <clears> screw, so it wasn't just going it, wild in there. It, but it was, was well, and it's not even inside the glass. Gotcha. So that's a good thing. Yeah. It was just that retaining ring is what held it in. It just was going around, tinging on that mm-hmm. on that metal aluminum ring. So it, I mean, I tore it apart on the preface bar. And, I mean, it was done in ten minutes, and I was like. Because that was the problem that they wanted, the way they do this repair is they give you an estimate based on what you're telling them. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I mean, they so they quoted me 600 bucks to fix it. Well, it literally took me, not even a lens technician, 10 minutes to fix the dang thing. So how much was it would have really cost me? You know, you still had, like you yeah. said, the shipping and the insurance side of it. They quote you 600 bucks, like, oh, yeah, this is easy. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would almost I would almost bet that they knew exactly what it was. That's yeah. what my, my theory is, but who knows. But anyway, yeah, bike ride was cool. Didn't see jack squat for animals. So lugging Did the catch. Did you catch camp. any fish? The fishing sucked. I mean, a few, yeah. but... Not like it can be. No, I, I mean, I've, when I've drove across there, it did way better before. But it was enjoyable. I met some interesting people. I met, you know, and people were actually really, it was over the 4th of July, so probably a little busier than normal on that road. Yeah. You know, but, man, I had people stopping, offering waters and, nice. you know, and, and joking with you, too. Yeah. Hey, you sure you don't want to ride? Yeah. You know, stuff like that. And, <laughs> yeah, that'd be. Yeah. But it was cool. I, I had fun. And actually, it was really nice. Actually, one night, I met my brother and his wife. They were coming back from Homer. They were down there fishing. Nice. And so, she had never been across the Denali. So, they came from Homer, hit Cantwell, and then drove across. And then I met them. And they camped. And he had fresh halibut and rockfish and all this. So, we cooked up. That's one. That was, oh, it, was yeah. nice, it was a nice It was a nice dinner for that night. Yeah, I'd you know, say so. A lot better than eating Mountain House. and <laughs> freeze-dried crap yeah it's uh yeah that's funny i think i was trying to think of the last i think the last time i was went all the way across the denali highway was the last time i went to chitna which was like almost 20 years ago you haven't been to chitna i haven't been to chitna in a long 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 time um 
but we went down there and hammered the fish on the way back. We got like, we passed some, like it was 2006. That's when it was. We passed Man, some was ages ago. It was a long time ago. Uh, I was a kid, um, basically a child at that point, which I'm still just a child. Yeah. just a bigger one, <laughs> but, uh, just a bigger baby. But, uh, yeah, we, there was some like haphazard, like mishmash sign by Paxson, something about the road, but like whatever, kept driving. We got like to one of the, it was one of those creeks, uh, just the other side of Del, of, uh, around Black Rapids somewhere. Mm-hmm. One of them creeks washed the road out. And so we had to turn around and go all oh, the way you back. Bypassed the but cross. it and it was like about six there was about six inches of snow across the top of the across and it was in June June, late June maybe. Um or early July, I don't remember. But uh I that, can see there being snow even in July. There was yeah. still snow in the ditches. Yeah, I mean I well across. I've been up there well that time of year camping with the kids like running around on the boat and just big old like snow drifts everywhere and it's pretty normal for up there yeah. that but this was like fresh fresh six inches of snow and that was the trip i was used to just despise country music like hated it it was you know metallica and acdc and and uh well part of it was like the only like country stations just played the same stupid songs over and over again and i can't remember what the guy the guy I was with the older guy had a couple like two country CDs and so guess what we got to listen to on repeat over and over it was like torture therapy after that i kind of started liking it <laughs> but uh it was yeah that was a long drive there's some neat country over there for sure like i said it's it's like any time you know i mean i really did expect to see some animals yeah you know but I mean, there's a lot, too, you probably don't see. I mean, day one, right out of the gate, there's a big old fresh pile of bear poo in the road, you know, from a grizzly. Yeah. And it's, like, fresh. Yeah. But never seen it. I mean, and then nothing the rest of the trip. Yeah. It'd be hard for me to see something with my, like, eyes watering, huffing and puffing. Well, (laughs) yeah, sweat in your eyes. Yeah. That was was me. It was... uh, yeah, day one was a grind, but I just kept going and kept going, going and going and going. You get far enough to where you can't turn around. Yeah. <laughs> you have yeah. no option but yeah. to keep going. And in a way, that's kind of why, too, I wanted to do it by myself. You know, because I felt like if I – it would be cool to do it with a couple other people or yeah. one, even one other person. Um, But at that point, you're you're either trying to keep up with them or they're trying to keep up with you. Doing it by myself, I could just set my own pace, kind of do whatever I wanted, mm-hmm. whenever I wanted. Yep. And you're not trying to like, I would get panicky like if I had to try to keep up with people. Like, yeah. oh, that that's just yeah, not not a lot it, of fun. And most of the people that whether I, it's hiking or whatever, if you feel like you're like lagging lagging behind, behind yeah. yeah. And to me, that's almost a good way to get burnt out a little bit. Like, yeah, like just go too hard right out of the gate, maybe or you know. Maybe not. Maybe and maybe not everybody. I mean, I'm sure there's exceptions, but you know, a lot of the people that I saw doing that, they were all supported by you know people in RVs. They would just you know, and they're basically riding an empty bike. Yeah. For the day. I mean, to me, that was piece. Of, that would be a piece of cake. And then you get to sleep it's like in a, having a sleep pack. in a yeah sleep it's like in a motorhome sheep hunting with a packer. Yeah. 
and sleeping in a motorhome. Yeah. You know, it's like the motorhome moose hunters. You know, I mean, hey, now let's not get too. <laughs> Not motorhome, but let's not get too aggressive on eating uncomfortable moose. No, I mean I'm, I'm not I'm talking say, about the guys parked like their moose camp. That's is what the I'm parking talking lot, about. Is the parking lot that's, of skinny dicks? Yes, that's what I'm talking about. You know, nothing wrong with a comfortable camp, but <laughs> killing some cases of beer. More than, yeah, it's more of a hangout time. Yeah, than hunting probably. But no, it was I, it was fun. I learned. I definitely learned a lot. I learned. It's just like when you go on your first sheep hunt, you learn gear you can ditch, gear you wished you had. It's the same thing with that. It Which was, I was going to, yeah, then that's one of the things I was going to ask you is like, what do you, like, how do you prep your bike? Like, what kind of stuff do you bring? Because like the old, like, the old Walmart, like, Schwinn is so probably not set up I've, for it. No, and I've went down the wormhole with the bikes now. I've... So since that, <laughs> it's just like you said, man, you get into something and you yeah. just, you just get into it. And, you know, ain't, I'm not going down bunny hugger road no. by any means, but like I've already built another bike for like ripping around town if I wanted to. <laughs> got your like, town bike yeah. and your road bike. And then, and then, you know, I got Lisa bike and then nice. my daughter wanted a bike and I've been picking these things up and just, you know, on, they're, they're secondhand. Yeah. I've kind of went down the older route. Like, a lot of these bikes are, like, 90s bikes. And then I go through them, and, you know, if they need fixing, I'll fix stuff. But, you know, a lot of them, it's kind of like, when you know, old chainsaws. Yeah. Like. Old ice augers. Yeah. People go, that's a piece of junk. Just, you know, I mean, you can get them for cheap for the most part. Mm-hmm. There is somewhat of a market for some of that stuff. You know, and people look on eBay, and they go, oh, it's worth this. To me, it's you're nuts to pay that kind of money for what you're yeah. getting. You're you looking know, like, at like the slot between like collector item and new. Yeah, but some people they go, well, you know, this is what they're selling for in eBay. Well, I'm not giving you three hundred dollars for a thirty year old bike. Yeah, so sell it on eBay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so anyway, it, that's kind of the route that I went. But with going back to your question, setting up my bike. That was my bike from 2000, I think it was 16, 15 or 16, and I bought it brand new. Basically, I've went through that thing. Some people would probably think I'm crazy because I probably put, I don't think I really put more into it than what I could buy a bike like that for now, mm-hmm. you know, to set up with better components and things on it. But I got rid of the suspension fork altogether because to me, for what I was doing, I didn't need didn't need a front suspension and it didn't have it was a hard tail in the back so didn't have any rear suspension but and it was a it was a lower end specialized i mean it was nothing crazy yeah um so anyway i bought a rigid fork and then i put all new bearings in it and then i did a new crank and gears i mean basically the only thing stock on it anymore are the rims and when i did that ride the seat which I've changed since then. Um, Get the big old wide plus. Actually, <laughs> so people always ask, people have asked me that, you know, people that I know. Yeah. Um, and I've kind of learned a lot about seats. And I would think that that'd f- be tough, the big the, fluffy ones. They yeah. are. There's actually, those are almost, you know, you look at some of these seats and they're very sleek and and everybody's different. I mean, what's important is the seat will fit your sit bones basically on your mm-hmm. butt. Yeah. That's what you want. But if, 
on those on those wide seats, if you can imagine doing that for hours in a day, the chafing that's going to go on. Oh. That's why you don't. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm serious. I don't think a f- those big wide seats useless in my opinion. Yeah, um, I say yeah. That's what I would assume being a non, basically a non. But I mean, but, but you're you're you can think about it and just be like, okay, that makes sense. You know that something that you, that you want it to fit your butt, but you don't want it overly big. Otherwise, it's going to be rubbing in places you don't want it to be rubbing. Yeah, and so. The one that came on my bike is actually a pretty good fit for me, but what I didn't like about it was I kind of slid around on it. Oh. So I ended up getting another seat that it's the same size, if you will, like width-wise and things like that, but the material it's made of is a little more, it's not like grippy or like real sticky, but it, it I didn't move around on it as much. A little like more tack, tack yeah. not, I don't know. I know. I think I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. A little so bit more textured, not that, slipping. Yeah. And what that did, at least for me, is with your butts planted on the seat, you kind of stay in one place instead of like sliding around a little bit. and Because you'll find a comfortable spot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, like I said, I'm no expert. I've been learning a lot of this stuff. But uh, fit too, just comfort, like. Handlebars was a big one. I went through a like I think probably for, your posture is probably huge. It like is having the right level, of- and it's for what you're doing. Like you know, if you're into this racing thing, yeah, you're going to be more sleek. Or if you're like some downhill mountain biker, the whole everything is different because you're going downhill. Mm-hmm. You know, for what it, it's a lot of trial and effort, trial and error is what it is. And, like, the wife was always like, what in the world? You know, third set of handlebars, you know, and she's like, how many more are you going to be buying? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. well, you know, but my thought was, is I wanted something comfortable. It's not like I'm just going to go ride three miles and I can tough it yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. And so all that stuff is important, kind of like backpack fit or, you know, boot fit, mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's It's no different, you know, and. I have a tendency to go down the wormhole, and that's what I did, you know? And I'm already thinking, like, I'm thinking I may build a bike specifically for doing that is kind of my thought process right now. But then I'm also like, okay, in reality, how many, how much of this is I really going to be doing? There's some places that I've already did, you know, shorter trips, but I've been doing them for my photography and some things. It's kind of a quiet, silent way of getting around. Yeah. No, I could see that being an advantage in in certain areas. So, I don't know. I don't know how much I'm going to go down that path or just say, okay, this bike is good enough. Use it as is. I'm sure that whatever path, however far you go down the path, you're going to you're going to do it. Or what the word with enthusiasm? <laughs> well, so next next year, kind of what I'm thinking, one of my trips that I would like to do, and it is shorter, um, is like maybe riding from Chitna to McCarthy. Yeah, that'd be a pretty, pretty you know, cool ride. I'm actually I'm going to try to get the wife talked into that one, but I don't know that she would do it. I think it's sixty. It's roughly sixty miles 60 one way. Miles. I've only driven it once out there and back, but pretty country, super yeah. pretty. But I just think something like that would be kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I ran it. Actually, I ran into a guy this last weekend, and we were talking about bikes, and because he, he was on one, and he had rode from he's rode from uh, 
the Taylor, like the Eagle. Oh, man. That's quite the ride, too. So, I mean, something like that would be kind of cool, too, to do. You know. And I would, you know, pretty much just do that just to do it. Same thing. Yeah. You could camp, fish, gold pan, whatever the heck you wanted to do along the way. But bugs, people ask me about bugs. They actually weren't that horrible. I did see, I was at McLaren Pass, you know, and that was the other thing. I'm by myself, so, like, I kind of wanted to have some photos. Mm-hmm. But taking photos by yourself sucks for yeah. the most part, especially quality ones. Yeah. And so, Matt's out there with a selfie stick oh my and gosh, like dude. sticks yeah, was, hanging off his yeah. bike every different angle. Recording you know what my journey. brother bought me for my birthday was uh, he bought one of them like little wrappy. It's like a flexible mini tripod. You can wrap it around branches. Those and things stuff. are kind of handy, man. It, I, it is. And uh, he, that's what he bought me. He goes, here, you can use this to take your selfies. <laughs> <laughs> I could see him. I could totally picture your brother the way he would say that too. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it works, but anyway, I, so I, there was this couple there, I was at the McLaren pass and they got a big sign and it's full of stickers and stuff. And I just wanted a picture in front of the sign with me and my bike, you know? And I'm like, how am I going to set my phone up here? Like I didn't have that little tripod. Oh yeah. And, and plus the way it's facing, there's no like trees or anything to attach it to. So I'm like, I don't even know where I'd put it anyway. Well, this couple pulled in, he was driving a Jeep. And then she was driving a, or no, she was driving a Jeep. He was driving a van, like a, they were tourists. I think he said they were from Oregon. Anyway, she pulls up and they got little handheld radios. Why they're driving separate, I don't know. But she pulls up and I see her on her. Breaker one nine. Yeah. I see her on this radio, like, and she's like yelling kind of at her husband (laughs) on the radio. I can't think of it like. Having an argument is, like, unpleasant enough. Having an argument over the radio. I'm thinking maybe that's why they drove separately. I don't know. It was weird. But she pulls forward, and then the guy pulls in in the van, and then I realize that that's who she was talking to. Well, he gets out, she gets out, and he walks over there, and they're, like, having this argument by the Jeep. And I'm trying not to, like, pay attention to him, right? She gets back in the Jeep and just sits there. Like, she's just kind of, like, oh man, all frowny and, you know. Well, he comes back over and he's just like shaking his head and he looks at me and he's like, he's like, oh, women, <laughs> you know, something to that effect. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, well, hey, uh, do you mind just taking a picture of me in front of the side <laughs> <laughs> while I, while you're there, yeah. while you're in the doghouse? Yeah. And so he did. He took some photos, a couple pictures for me. And anyway, he, uh, I asked him, I was like, well, you know, I was like, is she not enjoying her trip or whatever? And he's like. She hates the bugs. And I'm like, the bugs haven't even been really that bad. I mean, I was like, I could see there being other places that could be more bugs, but we're on top of McLaren Pass. I mean, definitely not down in some low little creek area that's wooded and that time of year that's going to be way more full of bugs. And he's like, she just, he goes, three mosquitoes is a lot to her. Yeah, you're in the wrong place. That's what I told him. I was like, man, she's making herself pretty miserable. And he goes, oh, I know she is. He was, uh, yeah. He, you could tell he wanted to like spend more time at some of these places. Yeah. And it wasn't going to happen. Uh, like she was just pushing him like, we're just driving through. We're getting out of here. 
convoy. <laughs> yeah. I f- kind of felt bad for the guy, you know, because he wanted to see some stuff. And it just seemed like that they were going to whiz through and not really spend any time anywhere, you know. But, you met, I, dude, I met all kinds on that trip. No, that's cool. I mean, it was it was pretty wild, really. It see just, about 800 plastic kayaks. Oh, yeah. Even jet boats. I'm like, you know, I mean, there was... I would say it was busier on that Tingle Lakes end. Yeah. That, I mean, that's fairly normal, mm-hmm. I would imagine. But uh, the lodge, it was packed. Like, I was thinking about staying there, not at the lodge itself, but in that area. Mm-hmm. Until I rolled in and saw how many people were there. And I'm like, nope, peace out. Kept on I'm, I just kept on. I was like, I'm riding till, till I can't anymore. I'm getting away from here as far as I can. But there's, you know... Lots of good camping places. I was a little worried about that too. Oh just yeah, because you get of, stuck between decent camping spots. Yeah, and since I've done it once, I GPS you know certain spots that I think would be good, or I did camp there mm-hmm. just to just to kind of for, reference for reference later yeah. if I do it again. If you want to spend more time yeah. in one spot if you know there's a camping spot right up the road. I found a drone. Oh wow! <laughs> I'm, I'm literally fishing in this creek right by the road, and it was like, I think it was the first day, and uh, I'm like, oh, that looks good for grayling. Get my fly rod rigged up, you know, and everything, and I just go over there, and it's like right at the road, you know, and I'm, yeah. there's a deep hole there, caught like two fish, and I kept seeing this or- something orange down in the water there, and it's probably about four foot deep, and in the back of my mind, it just, to me, it just kept looking like, a, it looked like a drone. Yeah. So before I left, I literally got my fly rod and I got it shoved. Yeah. Got this freaking sage fly rod down, shoved down on the water. <laughs> and I'm trying to f- wrap the tip of my, you know, at the very tip yeah, of the rod yeah. around this thing. And I got it to move. So I'm like, it's something down there. And I finally got it. And I drug it out and it's this orange drone. And it doesn't look like it had been there very long because, I mean, it, it didn't have algae on it or yeah. nothing. And it was a cheapy drone. It wasn't any. It wasn't like a DJI or anything. Just cheap drone. But I'm like, what the heck? So somebody got a little too close to the water. I yeah. Guess. Well, there were some cabins right across that creek. I can't remember the name of the creek, but and I'm thinking, well, maybe there were people at those cabins and they were flying it and they crashed it or who knows what. So I just slung the water out and I stuck it up on one of those cabin porches. Nobody was there at those huh. cabins. I just put it up on one of the porches and figuring if it was theirs, they could do whatever they wanted with it. But I wasn't going to haul it. I mean, it wasn't worth anything. Yeah. Had no controller, you know, so. Submerged. Yeah. So probably. Probably fried. don't work. Yeah. But it was interesting. Just like you're kind of in the middle of nowhere and you find a drone. Yeah. You know, but. It's almost like Frank finding meteorites or whatever. <laughs> Just, I wish space peanut. Yeah, I, I, wish, I wish he could have come over tonight. Oh man, yeah, yeah. we'll have to. Yeah, we're, we got. I think. I think Saturday he'll be able to come over more. Do our, our moose hunting stuff, but sheep hunting. Like you're talking about bugs. I'm assuming it was white. Like I still have. I was. I'm assuming it was white socks or something. Um, the first night we were out, got bit. And like it's not like it hurt that bad initially or anything like that, but yeah, like kind of swell up. And the next day it was like a like, like a, a little, little blood blister, mm-hmm. and it ended up like popping. Did and it itch? 
really bad or not too bad, but it was like a chunk bitten out and then, you know, think nothing of it. And then a, like day and a half later, I'm looking at it and it's like red, like the whole thing swelled up and red around it. I'm like, <laughs> if I got bit yeah, by some spider. kind of poison spider, I'm going to die, you know, like, I don't know if I need to Sharpie yeah, around yeah. the edge of that ring. See to if it's see. growing. It, it ended up, you know, gradually getting better, but. It was just the one spot? Uh, I got like, I got, nah, there was several spots because I got bit, but that was the only one that really like oh. flared up. One spot on my arm was kind of a little blood bliss, but that was kind of out of the way and it wasn't, it was on my tattoo, so I couldn't like see oh, okay. the color real well, but I could see that little blood blister and it was in a spot that it wasn't getting rubbed or nothing and. So it just kind of went away, but yeah, that would be, that'd be my luck. You go sheep hunting and like get totally derailed by some stupid yeah. bug bite. Yeah. I'm sure it happens. Or you just envision like some little bot fly. Oh yeah. In there. Yeah. Laying eggs in your arm. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But, uh, yeah. Right. Riding bikes and, uh, how do you like them boots? I just got them not too long ago. We'll see how they hold La up. Sportivas. I got these are the first pair of La Sportivas I've ever had that actually fit. Usually they're super narrow. Yeah, and I kind of usually I don't have a really wide foot, but I tried these on because they were here in town, and I was like, wow, those fit pretty dang good right out of the box. And the old Scarpas that I had, um, they were yeah they were shot. What size boots do you wear? About a 10. About a 10. Yeah. I got some Scarpas and a 13 that I need to get rid of just because just because they don't they don't quite fit. Like, they rub on one of my toes. That was the- I've bo- tried, like, five different times to, to you know- Are they the teal? My, they have the teal yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. So, th- that was the year I bought a new set of Scarpas, and- They're nice boots. They're, they're brand new. I just can't make them fit, fit quite right. correctly. Yeah. Even mine, I bought the pair of Scarpas I had before that. I think they were the Liscums. They there was a I think that was the name of them. A Lisk. It was a li, Liscum, I think. Anyway, those boots were great. I loved those things. I basically wore the soles off of them, and the Gore-Tex still never leaked. Nice. They were a good, really good boot. Well, of course, like everything, good. They replace it with yeah, something else. Yeah, you should else. have bought three pairs of yes. them they had. And so I, the pair, those teal ones, that's mm-hmm. what I ended up buying because they were the closest thing to it. And I like them okay. They're, I had to do a bunch of fitting, and I feel like they're still not 100% like where they could be. Yeah. Um, you know, I had to use shims and stuff, and then I used a different insole. I've tried a couple insoles. Um, they're all right, but I... I still feel like they got a little heel rub to them. You know, it's not it's not horrible. Yeah, but it's, it's just, almost like they were too big. But they were a, a forty three European, which I think is an equivalent to a ten or a ten and a half, something like that. Sounds about right. Because <clears throat> I think forty six, forty seven is a thirteen. No, well, and it's just every like just goes to show everybody's feet feet are different. Yeah, like yeah. The, the heels feel great on my scarpas. But it's just like literally the toe box is just a little, it's a little big and it's just like rubs funky on one of my toes. Mm. And it's a, like you wear it around, like just walking around during the day and like this is going to cause problems. Yeah. So Well, and the only way you know that is by wearing them. I mean, that's unfortunately the, 
it's hard to do that with a brand new boot. I mean, yeah, you can wear them around your house and still return them, I yeah. guess, but that's you still side hilling and carrying a backpack and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But that's funny. I like, I don't know what, I have no idea what model. I don't know. I don't have the brain space. Like, are you one of the, are you one of the guys that, like knows like the name for every, like, like, Oh, my underwear, or the, the, uh, the site, the, I, the Cyclops B, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> Ultra I, would, I would say some stuff I'm that way with, but yeah. not every, I used to be more so that way. Yeah. More when I got into, um, and I think everybody, a lot of people go through it. Some people just stay in that mode. Like they're, they're gear junkies, right? Mm-hmm. And I used to be that way. But after a while, I, I started to realize that I was like, half this doesn't even matter that much. I mean, and so I kind of didn't pay attention to it as much, like specific models and things. I'm just like, yeah, I don't know that one that one shoe that worked, you know, whatever, X brand. Yeah. Well, when and kind of like when we started sheep hunting. Well, there wasn't the variety that like there is Like we're now. not, we're, I don't consider, because I mean, like, you're a little older than I am, like, but we basically probably started cheap on about the same time. I don't, like, consider us, like, old cheap hunters. I don't either, but things, like, I think, have changed a lot. Oh, they have big time. So, when we started, or when I started, it was like, I mean, and, and I guess, yeah, I was kind of like that. I had more brain space and a lot less shit to clutter it up with, but, uh, um... Like Cabela's Iron Ridge Hunt Boots. Yeah. <laughs> so like, this is what, you know, what I started out with. And I mean, but I just started with what I could scrounge yeah. and what I could kind of afford. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I started like start searching out just stuff you could find around town, like, oh, whatever was on the the sale rack at frontier, like whatever, like good pair of synthetic pants, like who gives a shit? Like what? I didn't care what manufacturer yeah. had no idea what it's called. Like, you know, I, so I, I started assembling like you could, and even like the time when like Kuyu or well, it was before Kuyu cause like Sitka came out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could, and you still can to a degree assemble like really a really good set of clothes if you need to for a lot cheaper. Oh, I I would agree. Um, but and I don't think. But nothing... I was like, I was just never like, yeah. It's just funny to me when like people I'm mesmerized know... when people know like every single like of all these brands. Like all, I'm like I don't know. It looks like a vest to me. That yeah. fuzz, the fuzzy jacket. <laughs> yeah. No, not that one. <laughs> the, yeah, like no, I've got I, some I know of that, what you mean. I've got some of that Stone it's, Glacier stuff, like the uh, this, that one, the, this fuzzy jacket. Yeah. I don't know what it's called, but I like it. <laughs> well, that's how I I look at it too. It's like anymore. I used to not look at it that way. I used to think, oh, spill my beer. Some of the some of this stuff, you know, you I, I I think you uh, there's things for that is less money that I think do just as good a job. You know, granted, they may not have a specific camo pattern or whatever, but the more and more I go on, the less I even want any of that. You know, I just want it to function. That's all I care about. If it functions, okay. If not, I could, it doesn't doesn't matter. I don't care what brand it is. I got a variety of stuff, you know, 
I, I mean, can, heck, I can see that. <laughs> well, yeah. Today I'm wearing Kuyu, Sitka, you know, heck, sportsmen's had these things for dirt cheap. These are Sitka pants. They're dirt cheap compared to what they normally are. And it's like, I just wear them every day. Yeah, they make some comfortable stuff. Yeah. So it was like, I, I usually am not paying full price for any of this stuff. It's like, yeah. I find either it's on sale or I'll find, I've, I've bought used stuff. You know, it didn't, somebody else didn't like it and then I bought it. You know, and maybe it worked for me, maybe it didn't. But it's, I don't know, just like boots. I am a little bit partial to Scarpas because they seem to yeah. always fit well, my feet and that's good. Like, and that's low as for me, but you kind of focus on what's important. It was funny before we went moose hunting, Frank's like, see, we've had this whole conversation on like, like I'll wear the same pair of pants for days at a time. Like I'll cheat, I don't, I don't know why, but like just seems like a shame to wash a pair of pants. You know, I don't like being super clean. I don't know if Frank put it like, oh, uh, yeah, you see these people walk around town and they're all super clean. And <laughs> yeah. like, you, you just sit by the desk all You sounded just like Frank, too. Exactly like him. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, he's like, or whatever. Because normally I wear jeans, but I had these like gray pants on, I think. And he's like, you get them at Costco Wranglers. I'm like, yep. He's like, please don't. He's like, don't wear those to Moose Camp because that's what I'm wearing. <laughs> and I did. Or no, those were his backup pants. Yeah. So you bring his a pair. Of, you bring a normal pair of pants and then you bring an extra in case you shit the first pair full. <laughs> Which you never know. Which didn't happen. You never know, you know. Yeah. I got blood all over them, but I didn't. They were still serviceable. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, anymore. Well, like my moose this year, I stayed, my my pants stayed clean because I had my bibs, my rubber Bib, bibs. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I just put my rubber boots on with my bibs, but I was, I got, basi- I got, I was basically blood from my hands to my shoulders. <laughs> you know? I got, see, I, I got was... bloody, I got bloody <laughs> just hanging meat. Because you're like pick, yeah. like bear hugging it, bear, picking it yeah. up. Yeah, that was a little absence of forethought. But uh, no, so yeah, what I yeah I hadn't. That's one of the things I wanted to hear about your your moose this year. Well, it was I got to kind of like withhold some of the details of. You've probably heard some of ours, but yeah, I mean I have heard some, but and I wait till Frank's I, here until yeah. we can like ridicule each other fully. <laughs> And get the most out of that, I guess. And he told, yeah, he told me a little bit, you know, we just kind of short storied the whole thing whenever I was talking to him, you know, but, um, no, it was, it was fun. Like things seemed to happen slow right out of the, I mean, yeah, my, my plan was I had a lot of time this year that I could, I had spent. So I was like, I was trying to divide it up. Well, the weather was crap right off the get go. So the Mm -hmm. first week I didn't even go. I stayed around town. I went grouse hunting, you know. Yeah, well, you were plugging grouse with your muzzle and shotgun, oh, dude, right? Dude, that thing is freaking a blast. Like, oh, I bet. No pun intended. It, but, it, dude, that thing, it's so freaking fun, you know. And, I mean, like, I sent you pictures, you know, and I, I would yeah. say probably half I shot on the fly, and the other half I was plinking them out of trees or, it's like, you ain't getting away. I just wanted to shoot my gun. Oh, I'd ground sluice them. Dude, it was, <laughs> yeah. that thing, you know, I figured out a load for it and did and patterned it. And I think I can refine it and make it a little bit better. Um, one thing with that gun, not to be off the moose on subject, subject, but 
we'll get there. With with that shotgun, you know, shotgun fit super important because you're kind of pointing it more or less than you are aiming, lining up sights. You know, so fit and the way you look down that barrel is important. Yeah, and I have a twenty gauge, you know, shell gun side by side. Mm-hmm. That just, it fits me so good. Like, that thing just, it will hit wherever I point it, like, perfectly. Well, this muzzleloader that I got, you know, I bought it secondhand. I think I sent you pictures of it yeah. when I got it. Um, guy in Connecticut or somewhere. Um, and the thing is nice gun. It feels really nice. It's 12-gauge, but it feels like you're carrying a 20-gauge. And th- this is an older one. It was imported to the United States, and it was an older one. Um you can still buy them from Petrosoli now, mm-hmm. but they're basically a 12-gauge on a 12-gauge frame. The early ones, like this one's, I think, from 71, 1971, yeah. um, from what he told me. Uh, the frame is, it's built on, like, it's basically a 12-gauge, or a 20-gauge frame. Nice, so kind of like a it's, daintier shotgun. Yes, and it just, it feels good. But the one disadvantage to those guns, and it seems like all of them, my dad has a 10-gauge Oof. Made by Petrosoli, and they're basically the 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 design is like the drop of the stock and everything. They they seem to be the same. Yeah. So in the way I look at it, they don't drop enough. It's like an English style stock. Okay. So like the straight kind of yes gri- straight grip basically. Yeah. And so it doesn't drop enough. So whenever you shoulder that and you're pointing it you have a tendency to shoot high with it. Yeah. And so you can't like put the bead right on the bird is what I found. Literally, and this took me some trial and error because even patterning it, I just took an orange dot and I patterned it at 15 yards and 30 yards. I was seeing what the pattern was at both those distances. And it was always high. Like way high. It was to the point where you'd have to like, You'd have to like bury your cheek so hard in there where it would smash you. Yes. That, yeah. And and to me that's not natural. Like no. especially on the flight. Now if you're just gonna shoot it out of a tree or ground sluice it, you you have you can do all that. Yeah. But if you're just gonna like a roughie takes off flying and you just shoulder the gun and you're you know pointing and shooting, it dude I was missing. What I found I had to aim probably that far under the bird. Oh wow. To to hit it. But once I figured that out, I just, I could, I could nail them after that. So I'm going to do some more work. I think what I'm going to do is, uh, what size shot were you using? I was using uh number five. Nice. And so I like sixes in just a conventional, I'm, like in four ten six. it like, it seems like unless you get sixes. Yeah. It like you're that's knocking what, feathers off. A that's bunch what of them. always kills me, it, and it it dude, it makes me mad, but it, make, it makes my dad even more mad. Like he goes, you go to these stores, and he goes, they got all these seven and a halfs and even eights, Eight. which are totally freaking worthless. Yeah, for about anything, um, up here at least. And it's like, like out of my twenty gauge, my the sh- my, uh, it's basically it's a, it's like a CZ. Yeah. It, but it's made by another company called Dehan. I don't even know if they're in business anymore. Yeah. I don't... But anyway, um, I shoot, and, and this is what I like about side-by-sides. Even over and unders to a certain degree as well, but a side-by-side, I'll shoot 
in my bird vest, I'll have one pouch full of sixes, one pouch full of fours. And so I don't shoot the same, you know, my tighter choke gun, I shoot my fours out of because I figure I have less pellets. Yeah. But I figure it's going to be a tighter pattern and a little heavier out of, you know, a little further shot that, and the way that gun shoots, I'm not too worried about fewer pellets, I guess. Yeah. And so the first shot is always with sixes. My second shot would be with fours. That's basically how I do it. Now on the muzzleloader, I haven't been doing that because I was like, it's the same load in both barrels. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember how they're choked. They're not removable chokes or anything, but, um, anyway, I just settled on fives because I figured I'm going to split the difference. It's probably good, a good and shot it, and, it, and it works great. Like, I'm shooting an ounce and an eighth of shot, and I'm shooting what they call a square load. So you, I don't know if you've heard that before. No, break down how that, how you go through that while I pull out my bird shot I, gun. I, I've got one of those. The I, old H- I actually have one in four. Old, is that a 410? Oh, yeah. The oh, yeah. H&R. Uh, my Uncle Jerry gave me this, which, like... They're kind of beat up like old beater guns, but these are worth some, like, they don't make them anymore. Yeah, so mine, actually- is a, mine is the little bit newer. Uh, so I think we talked about or looked at that once before. I should really, like, strip this, blast this stock and refinish, refinish it. it. Oh. Those are cool little guns, though. Yeah, I, it would I be really nice. Like I'd those. like to get Jed a, uh, like, a little 30-30 barrel or 308. It's like some sort of, like, even a 243 barrel. He'd be pretty deadly with that. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah. yeah, doing this, the square load, well, the guy I got the shotgun from, he actually kind of gave me what, how he shot it. Cause with these muzzle loaders too, you got a lot of components. I will tell you right off the get go, like you ain't loading that thing freaking fast. You're not, you're not you, doing it because of efficiency. <laughs> no, I'm just doing it for the fun of it. You yeah. know, I like muzzle loaders anyway, but that thing it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's so freaking fun to shoot. So, um, Powder first, I would assume. Yes. So you got 3F, your... 4F, so X. I'm shooting 2F. I guess it wouldn't be 4F because that's like flintlock yeah. priming powder. I'm shooting 2F, real black powder, which I, I'd i tell out of my dad. And he's kind of mad because I'm... Well, because Swan, I'm shooting... Swanee should have powder, yes, right? Yeah, but I've my, got 2F powder. I got 2F and 3F. Well, so talking about powder, and I talked to you this, about this before, but I started making my own. Oh, Yeah. I but about that. I've had, I've had some. I haven't. Well, you still it have enough. all your fingers. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> blown my. My dad's been worried I'm going to blow myself up, and I'm like, so far from what I've I've found, and this is why I haven't been hunting with it yet. I can't. It's not igniting fast enough. Like oh. I still something hasn't been quite right, and I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong. Um, but that's a whole other story. So, um. So I've been shooting 2F powder, and I can't remember. So a square load is you shoot the same amount of powder as the shot. So I decided... Like by volume? By volume. Okay. And so I can't remember. To be honest, I don't even know if I measured how many grains it actually was. I just... I was like... 1,001, 1,002. Well, I just (laughs) used the same measure as I'm measuring my shot, you know, and then it's equal. Yeah. So... um. So it's an ounce and an eighth. So you do your you do your powder. And with a side by side, you want to make sure you're paying attention to what barrel you're loading. 
Yeah, like there's some stuff you don't you you don't want to be like off in La La Land or you know anything with it because it's easy. The way way I do it, I always do the right barrel first, then the Mm -hmm. left barrel. And um, so you do your powder, then your shot. Well, so you do your powder, and then you have uh, over the powder wads. Yeah, and there's different ways to do this. So. It takes experimenting to figure out the best pattern. You can buy these wads, and I don't know, they're probably a half inch to five-eighths of an inch thick. Just like cardboard it's, wads? It's, it almost looks like wood fibers. Hmm. Um, you would put that in. Some people, I guess, call them a cushion wad. But keep, it, your, keep your shot and your powder separated. Separate. And it's also, supposedly, when I say cushion wad, it's supposed to... Not deform your oh, shot. Pal- okay, yeah. When you Supposedly. Get that, that big pressure spike. Yes. So you put that in, tamp it down, then your shot, and then on the top of the shot, there's an over-the-shot card, and it's a really thin cardboard card. To keep your shot from, from rolling, rolling out, out of your barrel. Your barrel yeah. Yep. I've, won, I've, I've lost sleep over <laughs> wondering <laughs> yeah. questions so, like this. Yeah, but, but so the guy that I got the gun from, I kind of picked his brain a little bit about, you know, because I told him, I said, hey, what, you know, what low did you find work shot good out of this? And he had shot turkeys with his gun. That's really what he mostly had hunted. And he never used the thick uh, cushion wads. He told me he would use a these cardboard. Um, they were a little bit thicker. They all three. I use three of them and I stack them up. They're the same thickness, but they're actually harder than that. Okay, yeah, they don't have the give that a cushion yeah. wad would have. So I didn't. So I don't use the cushion wads. I use these other other wads that are uh, thick cardboard, basically. And I do lubricate them. I did find that lubricating them kind of cleans out your barrel so it doesn't it's not foul it doesn't foul as bad like bu- bore butter yeah i just something. i just been using bore butter or uh like mink oil okay and either one works and um so like i can go out for a full day of hunting and reload and i re- keep reloading and i don't have to clean nice if you don't do that like when i was patterning it i the first probably the first day that I was messing with doing patterns, I didn't lube those things. And I could only so lube. just get that black powder residue, residue. sticking in your barrel. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, literally, you could only load it about maybe three times. Yeah. And then it loaded so hard, you know, that it was like, this is, it's stupid. Oh, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Like even like my muzzle loader, I like, I like how easy real black powder ignites. Yeah, I met. I started with two F, but then I switched to three F because I would get, I couldn't get the velocity out of two F black powder that I got with Pirate X, but the black powder still it ignited easier. But and I'm like I feel like we probably have talked about this before several times, but three um, F I can get really good velocity with, and it ignites well, like pours smoothly out of my little like powder dispenser. Mm-hmm. Um, but holy shit, yeah, like Pirate X, I can just shoot patch round balls one after another, after another, after another. But black powder, even with lube patches, man, it's like 
three shots or so, and it I starts, gotta like yeah. get a, at least get like an alcohol <clears throat> wiper, you know, patch and just swab wipe, it out swab real the quick. Yeah. Out. yeah, and then you're dealing with muzzlers are such. <laughs> well, there's just there's so many components yeah. to it, you know, and it's like, uh, the, I mean, you think a rifle's bad? This shotgun, I mean, I will tell you, I mean, by the time you, what? So what I do is for. I figure for a day of shooting bird hunting for grouse, I take I have I take an old I have like an old secrets box. Yeah. And I pre lube all my cards nice. and everything goes in that. And then I don't have a I'm gonna get one, but they make a like a, a shot snake. Have you ever yeah. seen those? It's like over your shoulder and it's like a leather tube almost and your shot goes in it interesting no i haven't but it makes sense so you got like a tube of shot that you can kind of just drip, well, drip some out into your and there's a couple different styles of them i think they make an english and an irish i believe and they come with on the end of the the shot snake is a shot measure it's oh, like built gotcha. in yeah. like it's got a spout but you set it so like me i'm shooting an ounce and an eighth you just have this little thing, and you set it at an ounce at an eighth, and all you do is you you just push the little lever, if you want to call yeah. it that, and fill it, and then it stops at an ounce at an eighth, and you have it. You just pour it down the barrel. So it's a it's a faster way of doing it. Oh yeah. Um, what I do is I take an old medicine, like a pill bottle. You know they make those like medium size. I don't know. They're maybe an inch and a half around. Like a Tylenol ibuprofen bottle? Yeah, that would work, too. Yeah. That's what I put my shot in. Oh, gotcha. And then I just put it in my pouch, and I use an actual, it's like a a, a scoop-type mm-hmm. measure. Well, I have those for, um, I've got an old, I found on eBay an old 12-gauge lead loader kit. Oh, cool. That, um, yeah, I mean, I I did a video years ago, like, and it probably came with those little going out, and it has different powder. It has different powder, and uh, it has a chart a chart that you reference, but uh, it has different powder and uh, shot scoops. Yep. And yeah, you just like all like reload shotgun shells by hand. It's pretty cool. That is cool. What I really would like to find is a four ten one. I don't. I don't know that they made a lot of them. It seems like, and I well another I, on some forum somewhere I saw. A guy referencing, I just didn't pay attention at the time, of like certain size or types of sockets that you could use basically as a lead loader for 410. I think I've seen that too before. Or maybe my buddy was you telling know, me about it. Yeah, it's just like that. I need to hunt that down because that would be pretty cool because 410s. Exp- I found two. I found, yeah. I got a couple boxes of three inch sixes, which are not like, I, it's kind of a rarity to, to see sixes, you know. And four ten, just floating around town. But uh, that well, talking about that little four ten you got. Yeah. I mean, that's what I got too. It's in my garage, and I grab it whenever I see squirrels running around yeah. the house. That's what I use. But it, it was getting expensive, so yeah. now I got traps set. You end up catching them. I'm like, trap works twenty four seven. You know? <laughs> yep. It's uh, no Jed. Jed's finally big enough to handle to handle that. You know, I took him out the other morning. We have the 22 with the can if there's more than one. And then if there's, we only see one initially, wanted him to shoot some birds with that. And he's, he's getting the hang of it. He killed nine birds. Nice. Nice thing is he cleans them himself now, too. <laughs> which a- he, he, like, you know, initially, like, it's just how they're pretty rough at first, which they're spruce ends. I don't give a shit. 
but it's good for him to learn. Yeah, and, well, he, he does it like he does a pretty good. Give him a little Vicky, and he does a pretty good job of cleaning them. So that's cool. Yeah, and he's all about eating. He's like when we were out moose hunting, uh, Faith took him and he got one, and he's like cooking it over the campfire and stuff. So he, <laughs> he's all about it. But my teeth are floating real quick. All right. Anyway, um, so anyway, yeah, the the whole muzzleloader shotgun thing is a blast. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, the one thing too, I was a little, I, I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do it either. Was like with the caps, like yeah, I was going to ask because so, it's a percussion gun, right? Yeah, and so I have a, I just wear a. It's a, it's a little homemade thing that heck I've had it since I was a kid shooting muzzleloaders, but it holds ten caps. It's just a leather. It's a flat piece like of a thick piece of leather, leather with holes, holes punched and then in it's it. got little slots. Yeah, and then you can just put it on there and pull it off. Um, so that's how I'll carry my caps. Um, but like hunting, you know, you're wandering around in the woods, and it's like I felt weird. So what I've been doing is if I go, if I know there's birds, like let's say I spook some birds. Yeah. I will go ahead and put my caps on both barrels or both uh, nipples and both hammers will be at half cock. Yep. And that's how I'll go through the woods. So it's a little slower than like using a a gun that you use shells. Yeah. Because it's ready to go. Basically you kick the safety off and you can fire right off, you know. So I still have to cock the hammer to full cock. But I found it's not a huge deal. Um, I haven't been hunting with my dog, so a lot of this, too, I've just been spotting them. Yeah. And that goes back to some of these birds, you know, they've been in a group. Well, maybe I'll get one bird out of the bunch, and they fly off. And so what I do, because it takes so long to reload, Yeah. I just go ahead and reload, you know, and what I found is, it seems like those birds calm down. It's like they forget about it. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, well, it's I'm slow. Sure By that, the time, yeah. you know, five minutes later when I got both barrels loaded, yeah. you know, let's say I've shot twice and I got one bird, I missed it the second shot or whatever, um, or on the first shot, they seem to calm down and then you can almost just go re-hunt them again. Yeah. Don't be pretending. I know you're touching off both barrels at the same time. <laughs> no, but you could shoot, and, and this is, I've had this argument before with guys you know now it ain't probably as fast as a semi-auto gun um but a side-by-side or a double barrel dude is extremely fast yeah to fire you know if you got well even with double triggers people always think that it doesn't take long to switch triggers well you in almost you're not even switching triggers because if you look those triggers are offset yeah like i said like yeah you can that you're you're on your front trigger, your first barrel. Mm-hmm. You can pretty much shoot that barrel and let your finger just come back and hit the second barrel. Yeah. Like, it's it's very quick. Like, to me, it's faster than a pump gun. Oh, yeah, for sure. Definitely like, fast. No, not even a doubt. I mean, I only say that with now base, you only based have two on shots, my, but I only say that based on my like Stoger coach gun, like, <laughs> no choke. I have shot some birds with that. Yeah. It's great. It's great inside thirty yards on clay pigeons. <laughs> Real close stuff. Huh? Real close stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I I've had a, I've always had a fascination with side by sides. Unfortunately, a lot of them are very expensive. Yeah. You know, if you're into like collecting or even low yeah. end side by sides, are pretty expensive for what they are. I mean, yeah. 
I, I would love to have. It's like wine. It's like wine. I don't know. Yeah, that's, not, that's well, outside and, of my. And so, well, and some of these people they really get into it, you know. And I mean, they're kind of that uppity, you know. Well, you know, I got this, and they're fancy and whatever. Would I love to have something like that? Yeah, but to me, I also like functionality. Well, it sounds like you're having plenty of fun with your oh. with your muzzle loading one. You know, I am. I mean, it's dude. I. So we've been having a grouse who, competition. Who needs a, who needs a Parazi anyway? Yeah. Well, so me, my dad, my brother, my kids, and my nephews, we all have this grouse competition kind of every year. And it's it's not necessarily like who always can shoot the most. And, of course, I'm always like, well, they got to be in the air. And the only ones that count, <laughs> yeah. you know, they got to be flying. And anyway, I took, man, I dude, I took off there at the, in the beginning because I was like, I know I'm going moose hunting. I got to get some birds like on the ground and cause I'm going to be gone moose hunting. And I know while I'm gone, my brother's going to be probably bird hunting. My dad, I know will be, I mean, he goes out pretty regular, Yeah, but the pro- he wasn't, able- he wasn't hitting anything it was a problem. <laughs> Me and him would go out. I'd come home with five or six birds, me and him together. I'd have five or six birds. He'd have like one. And of course I just, and he's shooting his old 16 gauge pump that he that he restored. Yeah. And you know, he loves that. He's a big 16 gauge fan. And um and I'm like, "Man, I'm out shooting you with this this freaking muzzle loader." I'm like, "What's going on?" And he's like <laughs> He's like, "I can't see anymore." I can't see. <laughs> but Oh man. But that's been fun, but he's he's actually caught up. He's one ahead of me. Right now, but I haven't been since I've been back for moose hunting, so I'm going to... Yeah, the clock is a ticking. I don't know how many more... It seems like it's been a good bird year. It has been. Just like yesterday, my kid, he kind of... He knocked some feathers off a rough grouse here in the yard. Well, and way more roughs this year. I have seen way more roughs than in easily in the past probably five to eight years. Yeah, you know, I've it's seen a, them this I year. I think we a lot just, more. you know, the cats are low, have been low for a couple of years, and then I think you just get the right conditions in the spring yeah. for the like the the hatch, hatch of all the young ones. But out moose hunting, I mean, we would see probably at least fifty sharp tails a day, dude, just, just flying around. Frank, Frank told me, <laughs> and I'm like, he goes, "Oh, dude, you'd, you, you'd he be, goes, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be <laughs> dropping." Sh- BBs and black powder I'd, down I'd, that thing. I'd have so to have great. a whole bag of shot with me out there, you know. Well, no joke from our from our moose tower, you could pass shoot them every morning. Every morning there'd be like anywhere from 15 to 40 sharp tails come flying right by like within 20 yards of the stand right at first light. Oh, you'd be ablaze, yeah, it'd be like the dude, civil war out yeah, there. There'd be no moose around. <laughs> But then, you know, then you're hearing them clucking around everywhere and lots of spruce hens, too. Um, I do think the sharp tails have been coming back. Like, uh, I don't even know if coming back's the right word. I just, as a kid, I don't remember seeing, like, where you guys are at, I could see sharp tails there. But, like, I have a couple places close to town here that I go, and I used to never find sharp tails, ever. And... 
one I was hunting in the winter one time and I found a couple sharp tails. And ever since then, I keep going back there and it's like they keep growing. It's like there's more and more of them. And it's not flocks like you're talking yeah. about, but it's in places I don't ever Some remember. Around. Well, I mean, here, never behind, seeing here them, behind the house, like, I don't know that I've ever successfully done it, but I've had days where I could have killed sharp tail, rough grouse, spruce grouse, and ptarmigan, like all I, in the same whack. One day I was short, basically it was a ptarmigan. Yeah. And we really weren't in a good place for ptarmigan. I'm like, they potentially could be here probably more so in the winter than right now. Mm -hmm. And so I never got, didn't get that. I was hoping to, Yeah, but grand slam of birds, I guess, or whatever. Yeah. I don't know what they're called, what that's called. Right into the Royal Ptarmigan Society. (laughs) (laughs) But But, I don't know. I have a, I have a blast bird hunting. I mean, I think it's, It's just, it's something fun. I mean, I would like to do more of it, but it's always, of course, I'd rather shoot a moose over a ton of birds, but it's, all these seasons overlap. They're so crammed in together. Yeah. It's hard to be able to do them all. I mean, work gets in the way of everything, the way I look at it. It's like, if I didn't have to, have to go. Not for me, it doesn't. Well, (laughs) yeah. But you're still, there's still things though that you got to get done, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm sure no, you- my fire, like we got enough firewood for this year, but I'm like severely lacking on my next year's firewood, which is not a position I want to be in. Like I've been doing pretty good at it. Like so staying ahead. we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if how this week goes, I'm going to try and get out and if we can take both trucks, like four trips, I think would get us set for next winter too. But yeah, all sort of just shit. That's well, stuff that it needs, is stuff it's- that needs to be done. Um, but it, uh, yeah, everything overlaps. Well, the first time, you know, so early set, you mentioned like, yeah, beginning of the year, just like dog shit, moose hunting weather. So, uh, well, Frankie Anderson's like, ah, you gotta come, come shoot some birds, you know? And so usually get a few good days of, of which, yeah, around Fairbanks, like a few good days of waterfowl hunting and then everything's gone. Yeah. Yep. And I had, I mean, it been since I was a kid, like more than 20 years since I hunted ducks or geese and took jet out there and yeah we we got a limit of birds that morning and then came back and we didn't it was super windy in the evening to shoot cranes um coming in yeah coming in back behind his dad's house they land in a slough back there in the evening and i guess the night before just hundreds and hundreds of of them them. but then that night it was the wind was blowing real hard kind of slowed them down they eventually showed up but like right at last light, they were starting to trickle in, and we got like half a limit. But uh, I I'm fired, sh- I fired one, I fired one shot, and one bird, one crane fell. So, <laughs> but going through getting ready for that, it's funny. Yeah, my bird game is not. I borrowed one of his shotguns. I have, I have a, a Winchester ninety seven. Those are my grandpa's that I killed my first goose with. That probably has no business shooting any steel shot through. Um. But I don't really own a bird hunting shotgun. Well, I got a bunch of, I got ammo cans with shotgun shells that literally the night before I'm out there like sorting through shell by shell. Yeah, that's, that's steel, steel. steel. <laughs> I got quite a bit of steel shot, but it's like, all right, T, T, T. What I found, you mentioned fours. I got a bunch of old, like three inch super magnum fours that are, 
you want to knock some grouse out of the sky oh, from a long sure, ways away. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that steel shot thing is so frustrating, but I think that's even some of the reason I've never really been into duck hunting or anything. I was actually talking to my neighbor. He's kind of into it and duck hunting and, uh, he's got a dog lab and we talked about maybe when I got back for moose hunting that we were going to try to go, but it's been busy since then so i don't know that's going to happen i don't even know how many more birds are around i'm sure they stay here till the pond's ice over yeah you know but they're icing up right now yeah, right I mean, now so whether or not i'll get to do that this year or not but i don't really have a gun for doing that either i was going to take my over and under i have a i also have a mossberg uh like i think Steel it's a 500 shot, just pour some ball bearings in that muzzle <laughs> <under> <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I just, I could see doing that duck hunting, man. That's, that's probably hard on guns. Yeah. It, you know. Well, the rapid shooting and corrosion aspect yeah. of it. I did, like I did, it was funny. The one, the one shot I remember, like I killed, I killed some, I mean, I shot my limit of birds. The one that was like the closest birds where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, all right, you got to remember from my childhood. It's like, all right, you got to pick one. You got to pick one to shoot at. You're not going to flock shoot. <laughs> the, this, no, this flock was like, I mean, it felt like right off the end of the shotgun. I'm like, oh, you're toast, man. And I missed three times. But one of them, one, one flock that came in kind of on the outside edge of the decoys, you know, like, kill them. All right. Boom, boom. You know, I pull up on this one. Pow. And he folds. And then one of the other guys Someone just shot the one I was going to shoot or was aiming at, and I was like, oh, that was me, and at a band. So that was oh, kind of cool. cool. Yeah, I, that would be a whole other wormhole for me to go down. That's yeah. the problem with that. Next thing I'd know, I'd have another dog. I'd have a, a stack of decoys You'd in my garage. You'd be going down to South Dakota or whatever. To... Yeah, I did, I, I, I've kind of learned I've had to just limit myself because I have that tendency. Like, to Oh, get, me too. Me... To just gets out of hand yeah it does i mean it's like my wife she doesn't care she knows that i like i'm that way but just for my sanity i cannot it i gotta limit myself a little bit like well you end up what what happens to me is i end up being just frantic all the time that's what i'm saying for my own sanity and my garage is like it is where it's just an endless piles of stuff everywhere it's just rotating from a pile of one type of thing to a pile of another type of thing. I, uh, as an example of how out of hand, well, I told, I told you it's getting out of hand with my like meat processing butcher shop, which is kind of awesome, but who does, who needs three meat grinder? I mean, I'm keeping like, I got two, these two chamber vac sealers are pretty, that's, that's a winner. That's winning. Yeah. But, uh, three meat grinders, <laughs> could be called excessive. Well, but, this depends how much meat you got to grind, but, I guess. Yeah, well, so, I don't know, like, the the one I, I ground this moose up with was the Meet Your Maker, like, one horsepower. And I don't screw around with this, like, finicky little, oh, I'm going to remove it. I'm going to take all the tendons out and just have, like, I think you get more waste, like, you add up every little sliver of meat that's left on a tendon that you end up throwing away, like you end up with a lot more waste. Yeah. And I'm not that patient, so. Like, well, I, like, and those bigger grinders will grind that kind of stuff. Oh, they will. Absolutely. Yeah, you, um, I mean, I'm cutting like 
three inch thick, maybe not three, but like big chunks, big chunks of like long, like, you know, if it's a big chunk, I'll like knock it almost in half into two pieces, but it's one piece. So it makes it like, if you pull it out, it's like one long piece. Yep. And <clears throat> that damn grind, like you throw it in there, like you can hardly keep up with it. Yeah. But, um, it's, uh. One thing I need to try is sharpening the blades on that. My old, my like regular grinder, my three quarter horse grinder, I'm pretty diligent about sharpening my blades. Like you just lay that grinder blade on a flat stone mm-hmm. and work it on a flat stone and work the burr back on the backside a little bit. And it seems to make a difference on how nice and like clean and quick it cuts. Grinds, yeah. But uh, <coughs> I need to drink more beer. I'm like acting like my cough drops or something here. <laughs> Well, Dave, old Dave, who was out like tagging along with us, came moose hunting with us, uh, gave me a some kind of cold, but so I'm still just like got the lingering, <laughs> the lingering dry throat from it. But uh, no, the the trouble. So we ground like everything wants. The second grind is kind of a pain in the ass with that big grinder. I haven't tried the one and a ho- half horse, but I'm assuming the bigger diameter, the tougher it's, it is to get to, the like, second grind pushed through. Get it pushed in there, yeah. Because we ended is. up pulling out my old grinder, my three-quarter horse, and that actually like has some suction and like pulls. It's pretty easy to get the second grind through. Yeah. Like no big deal. But um, still, like, I mean, not that you got to go out and buy two grinders, but if you have that one for the setup for the first grind, the other one for the second grind, it's pretty fast. Well, and a lot of it too is just the <coughs> the firmness of the meat. I mean, yeah. What what how we do ours usually is we don't we'll cut everything up, whatever I'm going to grind, we just cut it into they can be pretty big chunks but reasonable and then we put them in gallon Ziplocs and then just freeze them. Yeah, that's and not then, a bad way to do it. And then just because you can get just overwhelmed trying to do all this stuff at one time. Like if you want to make burger and you want to do this and, um, especially if you're making sausage or something. Yeah. So I usually do my grinding later. Like my moose, it's all cut up, put away everything. I've already, I've did my steaks. You need to do some grinding still. (laughs) Well, I'm going to have to grind. Yeah. But it's all the, all the packages are in the freezer froze. Nice. So what I'll do is I'll get them out. Like I'll plan whatever a weekend. And I get out, I try to usually do it all at once at that point, just do the, so I only yep. dirty the grinder one time. Yep. Because I hate cleaning all that stuff. That's probably the worst part of all of it. Um, yeah. Well, and a Cuber, is. a Cuber is even worse. So I have a Cuber attachment for my grinder too, for doing Cuban yeah. steaks. That thing, I, I don't have a dishwasher. So I give it to my brother and he takes it home and puts it in the dishwasher. The first year I had that thing, I used to take it apart. Every single blade off that, every spacer out of it, Oof. it sucked. It was like the worst. I'm like, I don't know that I even want to use this thing. Because it just gets little stuff in there, yeah. you know. So I just let him take it home and he puts it in the dishwasher, all those parts. And you don't have to take the blade part apart. Yeah. So anyway, but when I, I talk about the consistency or the, the firmness of it, when that stuff is froze, it's already cut up in chunks, and we just write on the bag, moose, grind meat, or yep. something. I get it out and start letting it thaw, and I just put it in my meat trays, because it'll leak blood out of it, yep. too. Um, 
I usually don't thaw it 100%. Oh, yeah, throw it through the grinder half froze. When it's half froze, it just grinds so much nicer and faster. Yeah. So, Um, like, my first grind, like this moose, we did it all. My wife just, well, the kids helped. But my wife and I had that whole moose cut, wrapped, twice ground burger, packaged, vac sealed in the freezer in, like, less than eight hours. But uh, the first grind, like, went, went fast. fast, but it's the second grind, like... Well, it's the consistency of it again. Yeah. It's not that, you know, you start with those firmer chunks of meat, yep. and, and then once you... It's once looser. You, yeah. So, I don't know, yeah, it, and it makes sense. I mean, like, the smaller, like I said, the smaller diameter grinder kind of gets a suction and pulls it through, <clears throat> or as long as you can keep it full, man, it goes right through, but... It's uh, like, have you ever tried making sausage when... Like, I like making sausage in the wintertime, and my garage isn't heated unless I build a fire out there. So, it's pretty, fairly Chilly, cold. yeah. It's, I don't, I've tried doing sausage one time in the summer. It freaking sucked. Like, because the pork fat that I was using and everything, it even though it was froze, by the time I started mixing and doing all that, and especially if you do two grinds. Yeah. Because even grinding, it builds heat. Oh, yeah. So... It was so, it got so slimy, I couldn't even get it through the freaking grinder. Huh. Like, it was bad. I'm going, okay, never do sausage again in the summer. I just do it in the winter now, and I do it in the garage. It's And it's cold on your hands, but I just, it, it just seems to grind so much better. That, that fat, the pork fat and everything doesn't get all, I don't know, yeah. slimy. You know, like it's melting almost. Well, and back to what I was getting at about excessive... So before I went moose hunting, I was like, all right, I got to get this freezer situation cleaned out. Because I'll do the same thing with black bears. Oh, like keep them? Is and then- all, so, I mean, you're usually killing, and yeah, full circle, like photography, little bendy tripods. <clears throat> you end up getting them killed at night, or a lot of my bears, like I'm by myself, shoot them at 1130, whatever, get them out, like. And I'll end up, the last few ones, I drag them all the way out. Like, I got this, you know, little Siglin sled, drag them all the way out to the boat pretty easily. And then I my boat's little, I can, like, get them over the side easy. So I'll go find a gravel bar to take a picture of them. Oh, Because <laughs> there's just yeah. no light back in the woods, and I don't feel like hacking away at tons of brush and stuff. And, you know, the gravel bar pictures look good, yeah. so... Drag the bear out there, take pictures with my little, you know, just set up. I'll usually have a tote in my boat that I'll set my little tripod on and <coughs> and get pretty decent pictures. But uh, they, um, um, then I'll take that. Th- I'll take the thing home, and I don't even pull the guts out of them. Like usually, and it's usually cool. Like I'm not. Yeah. It's not just totally ignorant, yeah. but. You know, it's usually I've in the, the 40s, 50s. Sometimes, yeah. And then by the time you drive home and you get the wind on them, like, yeah. by the time you cut them up the next morning, it's still warm, but everything's fine. I've done it several, like, enough times to where I'm pretty confident in my process. But, yep. and I like weighing them whole, like, live weight. Yeah. Oh, so you, you know, you're shooting those 500 pound bears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't weigh it, but we're guessing it was 450. Um, so yeah, but all, and 
you know, but it's then middle of the day by the time you get the thing scun and taken apart. It's not cold anywhere, yeah. so I'll just debone them and cut them in chunks that'll fit in the grinder, like you said, and throw them in throw them in freezer Ziploc freezer yeah. bags and put them in the freezer. <laughs> put them in the freezer and make sausage later. Well, I had some like catching up on sausage, some sausage making to do before moose season. I had given away about a hundred pounds of it, um, and then. I ended up making 125 pounds of breakfast sausage and 90 pounds of summer sausage because 90 pounds of summer. The summer sausage, I love it, but it sucks because you make it, it's got a cure for like it's time less than 24 hours, and then you got to smoke it. So, and my, just using my pellet grill, I can do 30 pounds at a time, and it takes a few hours to smoke it. And get it up to temp. So I smoked, saw like I made oh, one whole day. Like I made all my breakfast sausage because I tried like a twenty-five pound batch and it was pretty damn good. So I'm like, all right, well I can make. I'm doing the math. Make the rest. I weighed way. out all my meat and did the math and, um, yeah, ended up with another hundred pounds of breakfast sausage and the summer sausage. So I did three batches of thirty-pound batches of summer sausage and smoked from like. Six o'clock in the morning till two thirty the next morning. Oh, but I've I've done. been there doing very similar things. And it's, <laughs> I don't but, think people realize how much work a lot of that takes, man. It's a like if they've never done it before. Yeah, it's very time consuming and and, and kind of like you said, time is of the essence. You can't just oh, I'll just wait, you know, and do that. Do the rest of it later. Yeah, you know, like when it comes to like your the uh, your. Uh, Smoking it and all that stuff. Yeah, once you start like those cured, like cured yeah, stuff, cure. you got a timeline you're working with. Yeah, but it's all done now. So, yeah, that's a good feeling when you get it done. I mean, I ain't, I'm not even going to worry about doing this grinding for another at least a month or more. Well, let me know when you do. We will, we'll have my grinder and your two or three. three. <laughs> we'll get that stuff ground <laughs> real quick. I, I've been really happy with my grinder. I so growing up, and I may have mentioned this before on a different podcast, but growing up and grinding meat, my dad was always kind of a he was cheapo when it came to the buying a good grinder. And yeah, we'd literally buy these Fred Meyer shitty grinders are horrible sixty dollar grinder, and I mean we'd burn it up doing one moose. Yeah, so it was like buying a grinder every year, and the blades suck. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the throat on them are small too. Yeah. So your that's meat, where you basically you have to take all the tendon and yes. the, you know stuff out. Yeah, of it. I remember. It. Oh, and it always was causing. <laughs> you know, it always caused. You know, there was always plenty of yelling. And, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. It was just. I, I just remember when I you know when I moved out and I got married and I was like I am, I'm buying a good grinder and I just bought a Cabela's. I got a one horse Cabela's. Yeah. And. The thing is, it's worked great. Um, actually, before I bought that, I borrowed a grinder. Um, he had a one and three quarter horse Cabela's grinder. Whew, that's I think a is tank. The, I think that's their biggest one that they make. I don't know if they make a bigger well, one. I've never seen one of those. I've seen my in-laws have one that's like mine, the older style Cabela's ones that's one and a half. And I mean, that's a big dog. It, yeah, and that's this thing. What, I got one of the one of these that. Is a one and a half like Cabela's yeah. carnivore grinder yeah. or whatever. Well, that that thing, 
I, I never used a grinder like that before, and I'm like, I'm sold. I, I, I mean, I'm, I was only going to buy a one horse because that's yeah. what I could really, I guess, technically, probably almost couldn't even afford it, but bought it anyway, and uh, it's been great. You know, oh, and now, one, and one horse is plenty. It's, well, it's, it, th- I think my biggest thing with it, just it has more power. The throat is definitely bigger than like what we, what I grew up using those mm-hmm. cheapy ones, but it, it'll grind tendon if you want. It'll, it, it's done a fine job. Like I can't complain. I, it's still plenty quick. Yeah. Um, and that's like not, I mean, it's part of this is for a story for work that I like that I got a couple of these other grinders for my three quarter horse grinder. I've ground up several moose with it. It's, it's totally adequate. Like it's a good, it's a really good grinder, and but I, think, I have messed with like cheap grinders that you like do a couple caribou and you're like, you're cooking hamburger meat yes. in the grinder because yeah. it can't it just can't, it gets so yeah. hot. It can't do it. Yep. Well, and the the other thing is too, is like they can be expensive, but I think they're worth the money because it's, Really, in the overall reality, it's going to last you your lifetime, probably. Yeah. I mean, most people, it would, I mean, you're not running a butcher shop. Nope. And it's it's going to, I don't know. And you can buy parts. That's the other thing. A lot, most of those, whatever brand. These generic, like, same, like, uniform, standard size blades and yep. stuff like that. So, I mean, that in itself. And then the attachments you can get, too, for them. Those that meet your maker, uh outfit because i looked at some of their stuff once before i actually would i wouldn't mind having one of their uh sausage stuffers yeah the, see sausage stuffers are another one that's like really ex- they're expensive they're expensive but it it's a balance like yeah i got i bought one of the five pound that's stuffers and that's probably appropriate for me because i can with a hack where i don't i don't actually tighten the set screw on the handle Cause you crank it all the way down, then you got to crank it all, all the way back, the way up. back so up. So I don't even put the set screw on. I just have the handle on there loose, and a nine sixteenth socket fits that thing really well. So I just have my drill. So oh, when, I, when it's all the way it down, up. I just rip it right back up and reload the thing. I don't know why I never thought of that, but that's what I should do. Because that's the oh, most, it's absolutely that's, what you should do. That, that's the most <laughs> annoying part to that whole that whole stuff. Yeah, I think it's like a nine sixteenth fits there pretty well, and just yeah. You just watch it on the end so you don't yank the drill out of your yeah. hands if you got a powerful drill. But, yeah, I mean, it's no bullshit screw around just right back up. Yeah, because that in itself saves a lot of time because that's – if you're doing it by hand like I've been doing it, Yeah, you got to crank As opposed the- to like a $600 15-pound yeah. stuffer. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> that's what that I don't get, though, with those things. I'm like, where the heck is the cost yeah. in, in it? I yeah. mean, so my dad's friend back in Missouri – they shoot quite a few deer and they do a bunch of smoking and, and deer processing stuff. He built a a sausage stuffer. I have to see if I have pictures of this anymore somewhere. He made a sausage stuffer, homemade one. And I want to say, I think he said it does 50 pounds at a time. That's impressive. It's, I mean, it, it, he, it's all like pneumatic, pneumatic. It's got like this foot pedal. It's all like air operated. Oh, man. And you just hit the pedal and it just squeezes it out. And it, I mean, it, it's pretty ingenious how he built it. And uh, it's pretty cool. I, that was way overkill, but they do a lot of freaking deer. I mean, 
I don't know. They also do, so the smoking the deer that they do, it's kind of like my grandpa used to do it. I think it's basically the same way, but it's a cold smoke. I mean, they smoke this deer sausage for like a month. Oh, wow. And I mean, this, it, it comes, it, you know, it's in sticks about, I don't know, inch and a half, you know, tubes. Yep. And it's very, it's hard. It's pretty hard. Like it really dries it out. Yeah. But dude, I think it's some, I, I would love to try doing moose that way, but I'm like, I don't, for one, I don't have a cold smoker and I'm like to keep a cold smoker going for like that period of time here. You're going to have to cut down half the alder thickets. Yeah. I'm like, I can't, I, that's, I can't do that. I, I would like to, I'd like to try it. Yeah. Cause I think it's some of the best is like sauce, like deer sausage that I've ever had or not sausage, but, uh. Like kind of a hard, dry salami type. Yeah, right? it's more of a salami, I guess, but smaller diameter. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty, it's nice to get, I think, in the long run, if you chip away at stuff. Like, I got a steak cube or two on this moose. My wife's like, what are we going to do with this stuff? You know, I'm like, we'll figure it out. You know, I was like, I got this steak cuber for, that was a Christmas present a couple of years ago, just to crank steak cuber, which yeah. I think my dad and my grandpa probably made a ton of. I, cube steaks back in the day because my dad, my uncle, everybody's like, oh, my uncle Tracy's like, oh, if you could make me some cube steaks, you know, that'd be. Yep. We just had some so for I made last like, night. I made man. like 25 pounds. So how do you, like, I made, I made like country fried steak the other <laughs> night and this was my first crack at it and it was, it was okay, but I think I could do better. So Lisa, the recipe she did last night, she's never done before. And I would consider it kind of like country fried steak. Yeah. With gravy she made gravy with it and then mashed potatoes and she actually so i cube it because mm-hmm. i have a cuber yep i have one for the grinder it just goes on to the end of the grinder yep. um but i cube it twice i run i run my you run a runway this. turn it 90 degrees yep. run it yep. yep and then and she figures out all the wrapping she does all that basically i do the cutting me and dylan do the cutting and her and my daughter will do the wrapping and so she figures out how many steaks we need and all that. Yeah, that's kind of how we how we do have been doing it. And it, it works pretty well like that. Um, but the stuff she made the other night, she actually used a like a tenderizing hammer. Yeah, and she tenderized it even more. They like flattened it out really yeah. good. And I actually was like, "You need to do it this way all the time." This nice. this this freaking. I mean, the the cuber does a good job, but. I think tenderizing it with that hammer. Well, you end up like flattening, flattening it out, it, right? Yeah, it's yeah. thinner, I guess. But it it just, it was even more tender. Like, I feel like sometimes with the cuber, like when I grew up, we had we would cut moose steaks. We never cubed them. Yeah. It was just like uh, slice them, you know, and that's how it was. And my mom always had a tendency of over overcooking them too, so they became tougher than they should have been. Yeah, But... Anyway, I think the way she did them the other night was the way that she's probably going to do them from here on out. Now, if I throw them on the grill, I probably won't. Have you? Do you grill cube steaks sometime <clears throat> yeah. too? Pretty yeah. good. That work turns out pretty yeah, nice. It does. I you know on a on a pellet grill. Yeah. That whole, I, no matter what brand pellet grill you get, they're all dude, good. They, to me, <laughs> just I game changer. Like I love the when I first got that thing, I was like, dude. Oh, I cooked all kinds of stuff on there. I was like, I have yet to screw something up. Yeah, you almost can't. Yeah. 
And they're very versatile. I mean, like, look, you're I've smoking, made, you're smoking your uh, summer sausage. I've made there, cookies or, on there, yep. like pizza, pizza, dude. Pizza is my favorite on that grill. Um, yeah, my daughter had some. She made some sourdough crust one time, or because we have sourdough, you know, yep. starter, and she did pizza crust out of it. And uh, one was like a chick, kind of like a chicken bacon ranch pizza. Nice. And then a regular, you know, pepperoni with sauce and that kind of thing on there. But dude, and actually, that was the first time I ever did them on that pellet grill. Lisa, Lisa has some of those. I don't know, they're rock, those stone, yeah, pampered chef stones yep. or something like that. Man, put that thing on there and slide that on that grill. Get that thing cranked at like five hundred and put it on there. To me, it's like some of the best pizza I've had. Oh, it's good. I uh... and easy. It's and it's fast. It's not even. It's not like it takes a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, it takes more time making the pizza than it does cooking it. Yeah, <clears throat> I uh, I like food. Me too. And <laughs> but I will. I do. I yeah. I do have to say my uh, the old butcher saw. I put a new motor in it last year. And I can hold that one over a lot of people's heads. Because the other night I cooked up a two-inch thick T-bone. Like seared it. Like seared. I got a, like a little propane side grill box. I like seared it on there uh-huh. and then just threw it in the pellet grill for until it hits like 135 or something. Oh, you want to talk about some good. Oh, I bet you that's really cool. good. I saw Faith had posted a picture of you and it said something like, Tyler's happy place or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I forget what it said, something like that. <laughs> I, I was going to say something, but I was like, no, I'm not even going to say anything. But well, I was like, I could just, Dylan, I showed Dylan and, and Dylan goes, oh, that's that's like Tyler's third child. That, <laughs> that, that saw, that's what he said. And I'm just like, I'm laughing. I'm like, I know he loves that saw, man. I do love that saw. It would saw. be great to have one, I think. I mean, that thing... You could do a lot of cool stuff with a meat sauce. It's funny, yeah. I put a well, I put a little video cutting up thing, and there's a guy uh, named Dwayne who was, well, was one of my uncle's friends, like in the neighborhood where they grew up. Because uh, my their house, I actually found I was like creeping this summer. I drove by like the old Austin Street down there. Um, house still like a lot of it's still the same, same fence, same. As you know, in videos from when my dad was a kid, but my this uh, guy Dwayne was like in some of the videos, like out hunting at the bus. Oh yeah, you know, with yeah. my grandpa and uncle and dad, my dad, and you know, he's like, oh yeah, because he like we're well friends on Facebook there, and after he's like, oh yeah, I he's like I remember like doing the same stuff with that saw back in the sixties, and that uh. Go ahead. I was just going to say that's that's the other cool thing about that saw, though, is the history that you've got. Yeah, you know, it's been in the family and stuff. So that that's that part's really neat too. Yeah. I think. And I think they're kind of like coveted saw, like those old butcher boy B fourteens are like pretty expensive, hard to find saw. One time I found one on the side of the road down by Niniana, like, but it was just like the gut. It was a gut. There wasn't yeah. anything useful. I pulled over and. I'm probably some derelict musher was using it to cut up chums or something, but, um, feed his dogs, but there weren't any like useful parts on it. I was going to, I was going to ravage that thing, but, um, no, this thing's great. And then I had to finally go to like aero services and get a new motor and motors 
in 2024 are a lot lighter than they were in <laughs> oh, 1960. Sure. <laughs> so I had to like rig a piece of all through. I had to build it like fab a new um, mount plate because the motor like had mounts welded onto it, and it's just gravity tensioned on the belt. The motor was oh. so heavy heavy that it just you'd like pry you'd like lift it up and slide it's just the automotive basic automotive belt built on it and drop it and gravity would tension the belt so i had to build like a have and i could it seems to work well i could go a little bit further like drill a hole in the actual frame to like secure i wasn't sure if i'd have to secure this mm-hmm. but i made an all thread tensioner tensioner out of a piece of all thread to so keep crank it keep down tension tight, on that belt yeah but it seems to work great and uh yeah, it makes cutting up a moose nice. Oh, I'm sure. Like Frank's probably cussing me at moose camp. I'm like, shit, no, don't you touch my fucking my tenderloins or Baxter. Like, so all that stuff comes like that backbone is coming it's out on the bone. Yeah, I'm gonna, I will shoot you if you try to, like, try to nah. Like, hell no, we aren't cooking. You know, you can have whore. We ate some heart out in moose camp. I was like, you can eat. We can eat organs. <laughs> We're not touching my. No, don't no you dare put a. Tenderloin. Don't you put a knife to that. You know, see that nice crust I got going on the hindquarters. <laughs> I actually, I actually brought the liver back. Well, from, I brought, I brought mine back too. I don't eat that garbage. Well, but, I, but there was some people that wanted one, so we well, brought it. it was in perfect shape, so we might as well bring it out. Yeah, we don't, we don't usually eat the liver either. But a lot of the moose that I've shot too, the liver just doesn't look right to me. Looks like yeah. it's been drinking its whole life. You know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. just this guy, like just funny looking, and I'm going. Eh, I'm not bringing that back, but that moose I shot this year was just healthy, man. The liver looked really good. We always keep the heart. Yeah, I like eating just heart's good. Sliced moose heart. heart's good. Yeah, and if I don't do it that way, I'll just chunk it up, and grind it with my burger, and it's like ten pounds. So. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of meat there, but the liver I brought back. I told Lisa, I said, because she's telling you know she's got all their little dogs. Yeah. Well. So we sliced that liver and dehydrated it all. And she's using it for dog treats. Oh. And man, the dogs love it. Like they don't they won't get that probably there's probably not those those tapeworm parasites in the liver, huh? I I never seen any. So yeah. I don't I don't know. Because pretty mean, much every moose like every moose I've ever killed has some tapeworm cysts. So, so what's that's what's that's what's funny. you you just mentioned that. So this moose has probably been the the healthiest moose that I have shot in a long time. Like I say, healthy, like loosely, but I'm just saying the fat that was on it, how much fat was up, like by the tenderloins and yeah. all that, dude. Just gobs of fat. The liver didn't have a single blemish on it, which surprised me because almost every moose that I've ever shot always has something. It just doesn't look right. And or at least, and maybe it's just because of the time of year, too. You know what I mean, rutting or whatever. Yeah. So your liver was good. So the liver was good, but yeah, even when we were, so when we were cutting up the meat, you know, usually you see those little cysts and all yeah. that stuff. I didn't see a single huh. one in this entire moose. Nice. Not a single one. I've seen. There was one cow that I helped a guy cut up that was just one time that was had like, a lot of them. Disgusting. Kind of like. <laughs> pretty, pretty, an absurd amount of them, but generally, yeah. I mean, I'll see some. I'll, I'll always see some. Yeah, I, I was kind of mind boggled with, with it, and that's why I say it's just such a healthy moose to me. I, I don't know, but and I don't know. Mine, mine had a lot of fat too. I noticed there was like cutting them thing, like pulling the guts out of that thing. 
there was like had to be twenty pounds of fat around the kidneys. Yep. Like the kidneys are just cased yep. in fat. So I brought home a lot of that actually because I mean we didn't have a crazy far pack job to do, but so I mean even leaving meat on the bone, you know. I basically, the only bones that were left were the feet that I cut off. Yep. And, you know, the guts and the hide. That was it. I mean, nice. I brought, That's the way to do it. We just packed it all. You know, I was like, we ain't got that far to go. So I would rather do it that way. Yeah. Even though I don't have a saw to cut it up. What we, Lisa makes bone broth. So. Yeah. Well, once even I it, do like all the you, trimming and then I, I cut all them, like the backbone and the neck bone. Yeah. Cut it up and then she. She does all the rest and makes bone broth out of it. And this is not necessarily an open <laughs> invitation to the whole town of Fairbanks, but it's pretty easy to bring out, like, if you don't have a huge, like, super long pack. Like, yeah, just, like, once you knock the hindquarters off, you got something to cut the rear of the pelvis, yep. cut the backbone off just at the front of the hump. Like, it weighs about as much as a front shoulder. Yeah. Um, and it hangs really nicely. Yep. Like you don't have near the waste well, of the waste of like trimming back straps and stuff, and you help clean the saw. You can use the saw. <laughs> well, like I said, it's uh, it it definitely is having a that saw is a pretty cool. And I mean, we'll thing. use it for the nice thing using it. We'll use it for. I mean, make all those nice stakes out of the back, but I'll cut up the hindquarters with it. Like, I'll usually, with a knife, take and knock the top of the hindquarters off and kind of separate them into roasts and burger and whatever. And then I'll knock the ball joint off just to have, like, a nice, flat, clean cut and then cut the hindquarter in inch-and-a-half thick rounds. And then you can sort them out quickly. It's like, all right, steak, steak, steak. Like, we'll usually do pull, like, the, uh, which I guess it would be the rear like some steak, like some of the big steaks out, and then you end up being left with if you can kind of fold it around the bone and have like a nice like bone in roast. Bone in roast, yeah. Um, it just makes it quick to sort it out. Oh, I agree. And then the ribs too. Like mine had a lot of fat on the ribs and like pretty like substantial rib meat, so you can kind of like the lower half of the ribs and the brisket. It's like I'd like cut chunks of with brisket bone and like good thick chunks of meat that could fit in an instant pot. And uh, ribs that, you know, you could slow slow, bl- slow yeah. cook or, or and, and whatnot. But just it's so easy just to, when you have the saw dirty to yeah. rip it up on the bandsaw. And then the rest of the ribs you can just debone, throw on the burger. Yeah, and, and uh, I usually end up just deboning anymore. We Like growing up, we would we didn't have a, a big saw. We'd do a handsaw. Oh, handsaw, and, yeah. And cut, and cut rib, you know, racks of ribs and stuff yeah. like that. We just didn't end up cooking them that often so i finally just said for the amount of work that it takes me to cut these with a handsaw i'm like i ain't doing it no more i'm just yeah i'm trimming all this off and it's all burger not makes sense in some years i've done that for a lot a lot of years i would do that just like all the ribs brisket everything just burger yeah yep that's kind of how i do it ribs neck brisket is a lot of burger i do a lot of front shoulder a lot of burger out of the front shoulders yeah i try to get as many steaks as i can but you know I'm very picky with the steaks. Like, it cannot have tendon, can't have nothing in it. Like, you know, sometimes you'll get that a big old chunk of meat, and you're going to slice some steaks. And then, of course, right through the middle of it is like... Big old ribbon, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, nope. I don't pass muster with you. (laughs) I cannot stand biting into that whenever I got a steak. And it don't work if you're going to cube them, too. Yeah, true. Like, you kind of need just pure muscle. Pure meat. 
So I get pretty picky with the steaks. A roast, I don't quite as much because I, fit, you know, way we we always yeah. do roast in a crock pot, so kind of cooks all that stuff down. Uh-huh. But I don't know. No, last oh, it wasn't last because it didn't kill a moose last year. The last one I'd actually cut up the front the shanks, and as much as I make fun of like the Oscabusco, oh me too. Believe me, I've tried it and I I can't talk. I didn't either. actually make that that but. Cook, like cooking shanks up in an instant pot. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, this is actually it's not too good. bad. It's not garbage, it, you it know. This good. year, this year, I just ground them. That's know, but. so we can. That's a we get a lot of our canning meat because Lisa likes the canned moose yeah. or caribou or anything. You obviously get more off of a moose, but any of that stuff that's real tendony, yeah, I just cut it up in little pieces, and it gets bagged just like the grind burger mm-hmm. or the, the grind meat. But we just write canning on it, and then Lisa will get that out later. And she puts it in the oven and kind of puts a little bit of a, browns it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then she cans it, jars it and cans gotcha. it. Gotcha. And all that stuff just cooks away. Nice. Just like those Oscabusco, you know, I did the same thing with. Uh, well, it, like you, you pressure, like just cooking them in an instant pot pressure cooker. Yeah. Basically like breaks down all those, because it's a bunch of tiny, mu- like like isolated muscles yeah. and all the tissues between them just kind of expl- like the thing explodes. Yep. And it's a, like the actual it, muscle is really tender. And even in the, we do it in a crock pot, just mm-hmm. do like 12 hours yeah, in a crock yeah. pot. So it's not pressurized, but. But it just takes it, longer. It, as yeah. All. yeah. It, but it falls apart and it's, like I said, I know I made fun of that whole thing too. Oh, and I still do. It, it, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's actually. Actually, we're off air. I got something to say. I'm not going to say it right now, but <laughs> it's kind of it's just something funny. But um, yeah, I, that that is pretty good. And it also like what I've noticed with like caribou, I take that whole forearm. Yeah, it's basically one. That's a meal. Yeah. So I just cut it off the bone. Any kind of like that silver skin, I'll kind of get rid of a little yeah. bit of that, like that real thin. I don't know membrane. Mm-hmm. And then it just gets wrapped just like that and then just throw in the crock pot, you know? Nice. So it just speeds things up. Anymore, I'm like, I want to just get done. It seems like this year, because I shot my moose basically the second to the last day that I had to hunt, well, it was the last evening. I was going to hunt the following morning if I didn't kill anything. So it wasn't like you had all sort of extra time. I didn't have no time, really. I mean, by the time I got home, I had to be back to work. That was on a Sunday. I got home. Monday, I had to go to work. And good thing it was, it's been cool. Yeah. You know, and my garage isn't heated, like I said. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I cut up meat every night after work. I was cutting meat, you know, and I didn't get done till Thursday, you know, but it was me cutting. Yeah. So, and anymore, I'm not that old, but. I dude, I want to be in bed by nine thirty, ten (laughs) o'clock. Oh, I do too. I'm I'm like, I'm not, I'm not staying up till midnight. I'm just not. No. I'm like, it's cold. Now, if it was warm out and I just had to, I would. But it was plenty cold, and I'm just like, I ain't worried. No, it was nice. I mean, I killed my moose on the 16th and had him hanging out at camp for another week. And then, I mean, it was the first couple days, it wasn't even really warm. I mean, it was like, eh, it got to about 50. Man, if it's 50 degrees or cooler, you can hang meat for a long time. Yeah. yeah. You know, especially, you know, when it starts frosting at night. Yep. And as long, you know, as long as you like, like it's clean, 
and you take care. Like I would, I'd rip the game bags off of it at night yeah. just to make sure you get some airflow. Air and uh, no, it's beautiful. But uh, yeah, it's that's I'm pretty. Yeah, my wife and I are pretty good, pretty good moose cutting team. I mean, we like yeah, don't necessarily waffle around with certain certain things, but. Yeah, made a made a bunch of burger, like got steaks cut and wrapped and we vacuum sealed like we were talking. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Like just if you're thinking about buying a vac sealer, just buy a good chamber vac sealer. Hundred yeah. percent worth it. Yep. If you can yeah, afford it, buy two of them because it's even nicer. <laughs> but uh um yeah. Did you is that good. you did your steaks? Do you vacuum sealed all your steaks? Uh, we wrapped all my bone, all the bone in steaks. I okay. vac sealed a couple, but those t those like spinal bones are a little too sharp. Sharp, so you end up punching a hole. Yeah. Um, but vac sealed all the cube steaks. We made like 25, 30 pounds of those. Nice. And uh, yeah, with two vac sealers going, like I was shocked how quick we got through all our burger and everything. It was it was pretty pretty impressive. Um, I do need to order one of those. I think Alaska but is Alaska Butcher Supply down in Anchorage. Yeah, some butcher supply store has like a little stand that's a, a chute for loading burger into vac bags. We just used like a measuring cup to kind of oh, scoop it in there. Yeah. And again, it's not that big of an issue with chamber vacs as food, yeah, getting the food seal. savers. Yeah. You know, food savers are just. Dude, after I don't want. I used them for so many, so long, and now I want nothing to do I, with I'm them. The, dude, I'm the same way. Like I told you, you know, I was like, I don't want nothing to do with them either. And sometimes I know it's a lot of money to bite off, but it's the same thing as a grinder. I think it's if just, you're doing a lot of it, yeah, it's it's a, it's a better investment. I think. Yeah. Well, and I was talking to another guy, and like I mentioned to you, the 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 affordability of the bags and they're better bags for a chamber vac sealer. You get a better vacuum, yep. better seal, heavier duty bags, heavier duty bags for cheaper. way cheaper. Like by the time, if you're doing a high volume, like if you're doing a moose year and maybe fish or whatever, like it pays for itself pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so anyway, like what the hell with your moose? You were bow hunting, okay. right? Yep. So I'm bow hunting moose. Yeah. I'll tell the story. It's fairly short. I'm going to leave out some parts, but it was a grind for, I didn't see a moose for the first nine days. Not a single one. Yeah. Um, Were you here, like hearing anything going on? No, or? nothing. Um, I finally saw a cow and a calf on that day nine. And so I, I hunted that area just thinking, well, bull's going to show up probably mm-hmm. at some point. I saw that, that moose, cow and calf, same area for two or three days. Never had a bull with them. And I was doing some calling around there, just some. Like what time Just, frame? This that would have been, I think, on the sixteenth. Okay, so like right when bulls should really be getting going. Yes, but not cowed up yet. Yes. So they should be. That's like prime and, time. And that's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm like, a bull's gonna come through. He's mm-hmm. gonna. I mean, this and this cow. It was the calf was a younger calf. So I was like, well, it doesn't those, matter. Even those first year, like that first year, that cow's gonna get knocked up. So what happened was nothing showed up, and I kind of was like. I think it was day three or four of seeing that cow and calf. They disappeared. I don't know where they went. And who knows? Maybe a bull came in and took mm-hmm. them in the middle of the night or whatever, but I never saw them anymore. So, and, and I was by myself this year. So it was like, 
it was just a mental grind for me. Oh yeah, just because I'm not seeing moose, I'm not hearing. There's no activity. Um, so anyway, I decided I was going to move a little bit. And normally, I don't like I don't like moving around a bunch. Yeah, but I ended up moving. So just trying to find moose, find sign something, and I just went to a random spot and started. I guess I went in there probably about six or so in the evening. And I, up to this point, the cow, the calling that I'd been doing was just some light cow calls with just raking. I wasn't mm-hmm. even doing grunts or nothing, just doing some light raking. And uh, I go to this spot, I'm like, it looked good, and I'm archery hunting. So I'm like, I set up in a place that I have some shooting lanes. Mm-hmm. And because it was fairly thick, there was some timber and then some brush and this like an open spot and it had brush and some small trees, but there was lots of little openings and stuff. So did some raking and cow calling, sat there for about an hour, hadn't heard a peep. So about seven thirty rolls around. I decided, um, and I'd been calling intermittently through there just lightly mm-hmm. about seven thirty. I decided, okay, I'm gonna call again, rattled his brush a little bit instantly. The whole time there had been moose there. Yeah. But it's like a switch happened. It, You know how it is? Like oh, yeah. That, that last little bit of light, it yep. seems like all of a yep. sudden that's when they start coming alive. And they're, Well, it's like whenever the switch flips, it, it it's yeah. a noticeable difference. Uh, you know, you don't hear shit, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's a bull. Yeah. There's a bull. There's a bull. <laughs> yep. And, and that's what happened. I mean, all of a sudden I just hear, you know, this bull grunts. And he's like right there. Yeah. Not that far away. The base of the mountain there. And I'm like, what the heck? That thing's been there the whole time. He's probably been laying up in that timber, just Mm -hmm. listening. And so I get him talking to me. And he's doing some raking. Not hard, though. He's So anyway, all of a sudden, I hear cows. And they're just, they start just moaning and talking and. I'm like, well, he's got a couple cows with him. Mm-hmm. It sounded like two, possibly could have been three, but all of a sudden they're just going crazy. They're up there doing all this noise and stuff, and the bull's getting more excited. I could tell because he starts, he's coming in closer. Yeah. Well, like I said, this all started about seven thirty, went on till about eight, and by eight thirty, nine o'clock was it was too dark to shoot. Yeah. But and this was, this probably would have been about on the. 18th. So, yeah, by 9 o'clock, it's dark. Somewhere around that time, the yep. 18th. Um, anyway, I had the bull coming in, and he kind of just hung up. And I'm like, he ain't going to come in with these cows because they weren't moving. Yeah. They you, were moaning and stuff, but they were staying in one place. You aren't, com- you aren't competing with the real thing. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I kind of kept at it, and it sounded like he came in within 100 yards or so. Still never did hear him. But he started getting more active with his thrashing. Yeah. And I could tell, I think he was a pretty, like I said, you're, I'm guessing what size, how big he was. Yeah, but I you, think, can, you get it like, can kind of Yeah, he wasn't like, a small moose, yeah. but I don't know how big he was. And I'm assuming because he already had a couple cows up to that point, I hadn't seen any moose with cows, mm-hmm. that maybe he was a bigger one. But I'm just guessing at that. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, long story short there, got dark and- nothing so i'm like 
I'm coming right back here in the morning. First thing, first light. Come back there, same thing, same calling. Not a peep. Didn't hear nothing. Till about 11, I finally was like, all right, I'm going to go take a nap for a little while. Give it a little, you know, mid, middle of the didn't day that, type thing. Didn't that yeah. piss you off when yeah. you're like, oh, man, it's hopping oh, here. Dude, I didn't They're even, all going to be right here even, in the morning. I didn't even <laughs> sleep. And I I was ideally wanting to shoot something in the morning yeah. because it would give me all day yeah. to, and not deal with the dark Oh, and on top of it. And I can't remember exactly when this happened. So I had two headlamps. I had my my bigger headlamp with my, you know, it's got the little battery pack, four mm-hmm. double A's. I, I like the, that style, especially up here because in the wintertime, you're using your headlamp a lot. Yeah. Those little freaking triple A headlamps, I hate them. Unless it's an Energizer one that just keeps, keeps going, going yeah. and going. <laughs> to be honest, and I, I'm one of those and I'm about ready to just start using it because, you like know. My pet, they'll outlast a Petzl. Yeah. I got this black diamond <laughs> that I got and I, I, I've had it, I think, two years. So I go to use it one night at camp camping and i'm like it's pitch black right and i'm just going to turn the headlamp on and it don't freaking work actually i take that back the first night it worked but the battery seemed really low and i was like i thought i just put new batteries in this before i came well i had another set so i took those out put the new ones in it wouldn't even come on <laughs> i'm like well what the heck so anyway i used the other ones till they were dead so i have another headlamp in my uh, in my pack, like one of the little Kafaru pouches, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It and the stuff that I keep in that on the, the back of my organizer. Yeah, it it has it has a headlamp, a knife, a you know stuff that goes in there and it never comes out. It stays in it with mm-hmm. the pack all the time. Well, I have the headlamp in there, and I'm like, well, I'll just use that one. And it's a little AAA. It's a black diamond as well, but little AAA type one. And I've never really had an issue with that one. It's always worked. I'm like, I'll just use that headlamp, but I'm not going to waste it unless I need it because I'm I'm afraid that I'm going to be skinning a moose at night. That's mm-hmm. why that's why I'm like. And then you really eat up the batteries. Yes, and I had no spare batteries for that one. Oh, gotcha. So I was like, anyway. So that's a preface to the. the I'm gathering thing. that you had kind of like a little bit more minimalist moose camp. Kinda. Kinda. Yeah, and I was very mobile. Like I. Yeah. Could, I could move around if I wanted or whatever. So anyway, I uh, I hunted that spot for, uh, let's see, that morning, that evening, not a peep, didn't hear anything. I'm like, and they've moved on. I'm like, these moose are gone. Mm-hmm. And so I start glassing and looking for other spots and whatever. Anyway, I find a, another bull that had a cow and he's way up on this mountain. And I was like, I, I did some cow calling again, and the cow kept trying to come down the mountain, down to the river bottom where I was at. And I could see him playing his day up there. I mean, I actually spotted him in the morning, mm-hmm. late morning. They bedded up there. They spent all day up there. But the cow kept trying to come down. When she would get up and move, she would try to come down. Man, that bull would jump up and just... He'd freaking herd her right back up the mountain. Like, <laughs> he didn't want her going in the valley. Yeah. And uh, it was a decent bull. I mean, he was high 50s, probably. It was a nice bull, from what I could tell. You know, I'm looking at him a ways away. Yeah. But, and I'm like, so they bedded down for the second time in the afternoon. 
And I was like, you know what? I can get to the base of that mountain and I'm just going to call. I don't know that I'm going to be able to pull him away from that cow. Because obviously she wants to come down. If she comes down here, he will come down here. Mm-hmm. I had zero luck. Like basically she kept trying to come down again once they got up about four in the afternoon. I, that's when I got over there. I started calling and I could see her up there and she just kept working or trying to work her way down. Had bull would run down, circled down, downhill from her. And he just put his antlers right into her side and push her up the hill again. Jeez. And he wasn't letting her get away. I mean, and she obviously wasn't ready to be bred at all, mm-hmm. but that basically. They're in that stage of just like gathering them. Gathering them, yeah. And that was probably about the 19th, that must have been about the 19th or so. That um, sounds about right for that stage. Of- yeah. And so the next day I, I basically camped right fairly close to there and I was like, you know what, I'm going to. Maybe tomorrow morning. We'll see. I couldn't even find them the next morning. Like, I don't know where they went. The the typical story. And I still think they're gathering cows. So I yeah. think they're just moving. They're never always going to be in the same spot always. So at this point, I'm like, I only had a few days left, you know. I mean, basically I had till the 24th to hunt. And you're coming out of the, the time when the, when the, once they, like, especially where we're at, once they hit that time frame when... They start getting cows. It's you're pissing in the wind a yeah. lot for the most part. Yeah, because it's too. It's before a bunch of bulls start getting their asses kicked and then get pissed off and will come into anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, I ended up finding another cow and calf, and this calf is laying down, and the cow is like standing over the calf, <laughs> and I'm like, that's kind of weird. And this was in actually a quite, this area was a little bit, quite a ways away. So, I mean, I had, so another story. So there's this trail that I was going down one day, one evening I'd been glassing up on this mountain and I knew I've seen bulls on this mountain before, but they were, it's, it's too far away. Like I would never go up there to shoot one unless I had five of my friends come out. Yeah. Um, but I, all I wanted to do was see a freaking moose. Yeah, I mean this. This is a this is like a week earlier, right? Well, I seen this dark spot, and I seen another dark spot, and another, and I'm like, that's got to be a group of moose up there. So I get my spotting scope out and I put it on them. Well, it's a sow bear, grizzly bear, with three cubs, <laughs> like almost full grown cubs. Yeah, and they're up there eating blueberries. I'm like, yeah, whatever. No moose on the hill. Didn't see any. So fast forward a week or so and i'm like i kind of go back to that same area there's like a flat there and there's a trail and i was like i'm gonna go down that trail tomorrow morning so i go down that trail the next morning and i didn't go very far like i come around this bend and this mountain is probably two miles away from where this trail is Mm -hmm. i come around this bend maybe further come around this bend on the trail Here's that sow grizzly bear with those three full-size cubs coming my way 30 yards ahead of me. <laughs> and I got my bow and a three fifty seven on my chest. That's it. And I'm like, I wouldn't have felt safe with my three seventy five in my hand. Yeah. Beyond, with four <laughs> almost full-grown grizzly bears basically right there. Yeah. I didn't like that. Now, fortunately, as soon as they saw me, pff, dude, they were gone. They split. But I'm like, nope, I ain't going up here. I'm not, I'm not going in here. 
turned around, went back. <laughs> and uh, so, but so I'm back in the same area when I where I saw the cow. A week later. A yeah. week later where I seen this cow and calf. And uh, so I'm thinking a bear got a hold of this calf and the mom is standing over this and it's injured. Yeah. And the mom is watching it. So I got close to him. I moved in, got kind of close to him, and then the calf stood up. And I'm like, well, there ain't nothing wrong with that calf. It's fine. And I'm like, I'm just going to do some cow calls. I do a couple cow calls, and the cow is just looking at me and whatever. And she just, all of a sudden, she's just she starts talking back. Hmm. That's just, cool. Just, just little, I always call them like mewing. Mew, or, it's like, just like real short kind of. Kind of like a higher pitched grunt sort of thing. Yes. And she walked away from me. The cow or the calf followed and they went out probably, I don't know, 75, 50, 50 yards, maybe. Cause I was pretty close to him. I mean, I was 30 yards from him probably. Mm -hmm. And they, they went out and then they crossed in front of me. Like almost like she was circling around trying to get my wind or something. Mm -hmm. And she came around and I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. And I hadn't heard a peep besides her the whole time I'd been there. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, cow's here. Even though she's got a calf, there's got to be a bull around. I, yeah. I, I'm just yeah. thinking that way, you know. And that was the only reason I went in got closer was because I was like, there's got to be a bull. Got to be a bull somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I watch her and she's circling around. She gets basically almost beside me. You know, almost circling back towards me. And I just happened to look, turned my head, and I looked. Here's a freaking bull standing there. <laughs> He's following them. The bull comes in, and I'm like, I, I mean, it just caught me so off guard because it hadn't made a sound. It hadn't yeah. grunted. I never heard antler, nothing. Just appeared there. And it's following the cow and calf. I think it just thought they were getting away. Yeah. And I really think that's why the cow was standing over that calf. Kind of protecting Prote- her calf. Yes. Yeah. And so anyway, the cow and stuff, when the bull came out, the cow like kind of started trotting a little bit. And they kind of went off into the timber and the bull just started coming in like almost to me. Well, I did a grunt. And he was just like what the heck? Yeah. And <laughs> he's like, how'd you get this close? Yeah, yeah. And he freaking walked. And this is where it gets embarrassing. You probably saw my post. Anyway, I may have told you. I don't remember. I don't think he, so at all. So this bull came from that black action packer there in your garage. He was that close to me. About eight yards. Eight, yeah. I would say eight to ten yards. And <clears throat> he's standing there broadside. And I'm like... I got an arrow on because as he's walking to me, I'm getting an arrow on my bow. And I didn't even range him because I was like, he's freaking super close. Just going to put my 20-yard pin on him and shoot, right? Well, and you know, I shoot that back tension release. Yep. And I have not been shooting a lot this summer. Literally. Like, go, go, the, go, 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 go. The last, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm busy riding my bike, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway. I hadn't been practicing a lot, but I mean, I was, I, I, I shot. Can you punch a back tension release? You can't punch it, but I'll tell you what you can do is like, so part of it too, I think was mental for me. Like I'm thinking 
dude, this bull's so close. I can't miss. This is it's a dead moose. It's in the bag. This is yeah. a, this hunts over, right? Yeah. And I come to full draw. All what I remember, and you know, I've had this. I told you the story about missing the bull with my recurve at eight yards, yeah. about the same freaking distance. Yeah, and shooting over its back. Yeah, and my mind going blank. Like I don't, I didn't pick a spot. I don't even think I came to full draw with the recurve. Yeah. you know, and shot over it. Well, I'm starting to think I I shouldn't shoot at things very close because just I, I don't know what it what it what. Well, part of it I do know because I I just hadn't been practicing a lot. So with that back tension, there's a sweet spot. When you take that safety off, because you hold it with your thumb when you mm-hmm. draw, when you take that off, you just have a little bit of movement, and it, and it go, fires. Yeah. And uh, so I don't even think the – I took the safety off before I even had the pin on the, on the moose. Oh. And I was already pulling into the back of the wall of the bow, and it just fired. Yeah. And I literally, I shot under that moose at that distance. And I'm like, the moose, you know, of course he's startled and he ran, but he luckily ran where the cow had went. And you're like, oh no. Exactly. (laughs) I'm like, it went from this high to like, I just, I just screwed up big time. I'm not going to get this moose. So I did another grunt. Like it's fish sticks for deep. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I'm just going to have to shoot grouse. That's all I'm going to get this year's grouse. And so... The bull, luckily, he went exactly where the cow went, and I did another bull grunt, and the bull stops at and looks at me again, and he was, he had vitals. His lungs were basically, there was a window in the brush about this wide. Yeah. And where he- two feet. Yeah. yeah. Where he stopped was right where I Perfect, shoot. Yeah. I ranged him again real quick. He was right at 20 yards, and I, and I'm like, Matt, get your crap together. And this time- I went through my pro- my shot sequence. Yeah. See, I didn't even really do that the first time. And he just stood there and made a good shot. I heard it I heard it whack, I heard it hit him and he took off running, acted like he was hit. He ran and he stopped and he looked back and I'm thinking, "Okay, he's going to get sick right there and fall over." And I'm watching him and he's just staring. So I kind of run down to where I can see him better or like in line with him because mm-hmm. there was some brush separating us, separating us. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, I don't even see blood on his side. I'm like, I know I hit him. I know I did. And so I'm like, I learned this from the moose I shot two years ago when it ran in the river and I didn't shoot another arrow into it and I should have. Yeah. Because he wouldn't have got any just further to keep shooting him. Yes. Yeah. So I I learned that I was just like, okay, shoot another arrow. You need to get yep. another arrow in him. He's giving you a chance to do it. Just do it. I ranged him that time. He was at sixty, and I dialed my sight to sixty because I shoot that rover. You mm-hmm. know, or it's a four pin rover. Um, dialed it to sixty, and he just stood there. Even though I didn't see blood, that's what was just odd to me. I didn't. I don't understand. And it was. It well, would have been. Maybe it was. It, and it would have been his opposite side that was bleeding out. That it was bleed. No, no, it wasn't. It was the exact same side that I shot him on the first time. Maybe it was just high enough to where it hadn't his chest. Because I've seen where their their chest cavity is so big that it if takes you, a while if you to hit, fill it up. It takes a while to fill and up I, and start draining out. I do think that's the case because, like, if you look at those shots. I could have been a little tighter to the shoulder and even lower. Mm-hmm. I was basically center of the lungs. Yeah. 
which still good hit, but it was center of the lungs. So, I mean, you had that much to fill up. Yeah, yeah. You know? Gallons of blood. Yeah. So, anyway, I shot again, same thing, and that shot felt really good. I heard it whack him, and he just charged off through the timber, crashing, and I'm like, that bull's dead. So, of course, now I'm like, I'm all excited. And I'm, this is like an hour before dark. And I'm going, no headlamp, got to remember, no yeah. headlamp. And I'm just like, and it's in this bear-infested freaking area that I'm like, hopefully those bears are gone. But it was in the back of my mind, right? So, because you're by yourself. I mean, in your your mind, man, it, oh, pl- it plays tricks on you. It just, It does, know. yeah. Well, you could, you could have like a perfect situation and all of a sudden, like you've talked yourself into, oh, that bull moose ran a mile and yep. I'm never going to find him. Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> and believe me, all that stuff is going through your mind. Yeah. So I, I start looking around and where I find the first arrow or the second arrow that I shot. The first mm-hmm. arrow, I don't know where it went. Never did find it. The So the second arrow that I shot that hit him at 20 yards, mm-hmm. found that arrow basically right away. It was clean pass through, soaked end to end. And it had some bub- bubbles in it. So I knew it was a long hit. Put that back in my quiver, and I go walking over to about where he was standing when I took the second or the third shot, and I didn't see any blood yet, and I ended up finding the arrow there too, soaked end to end, passed through on that shot, and I shot two different broadheads, which I could I'll talk about that in a second. But anyway, so I'm like, all right, I'm just gonna go find this moose because I don't hear anything else anymore. And I kind of go in the woods, didn't find any blood, didn't find any blood, but I kind of heard where the silence or the, where the, the last, the noise, last noise yeah. was. So I had an idea kind of where I should be going. So it, really, I didn't even try the blood trail of thing thing. Yeah. I, I was like, I need to find this bull now and I'm just going to go try to find him. And then if I can't, then I'll come back again. I flagged where I, that 60 yard shot, I just tied a flag where mm-hmm. it was at so I could kind of come back to it as a reference. And I get in the woods about halfway from where I to where I found him, and I started seeing a few little spots of blood. And I'm like, all right. He kind of ran down this old dried up little wash, mm-hmm. and then he got up into the spruce timber. It was like almost like a bank. And so he was actually above me a little bit when I spotted him, and he was, he was laying there dead. Nice. Probably 150, 200 yards, which still I think went further than I- It was I, a little ways, yeah. Further than what I expected. Um, especially with two lung, lung hit arrows through them, pass throughs. Yeah. So I went up to him and I'm thinking, of course I'm excited and I want to get a couple pictures. So I didn't have my little tripod thingy. So I literally have my phone resting in a piece of a branch in this brush, balancing it with 10 second timer on. I'm like, all right, get a couple pictures. Run, run, run. Yeah. Get a couple (laughs) pictures, whatever, you know? And then I'm like, I got to get the gut in this thing. And, uh. Well, where he died, it was actually in a really good spot. I couldn't ask for a better place, except for when he when he fell down, he like fell against these spruce trees. It was like a cove of spruce trees, kind of. Yeah. And his back is up against the trees, and all these trees are about that big. In this little about group. six inch yeah. trees, yeah. Six to eight, you know, they varied in size there, but. But he wasn't quite on his belly, you know, laying flat. He was on his side just a little bit, but it was just enough. I couldn't get to his guts. Oh. And I'm like, how the freaking heck am I going to move this thing by myself? Yeah, you can't roll him and you can't slide him. Yeah. yeah. You can't do nothing. And, and, and so it's like, 
the old take half the meat off. <laughs> well, <laughs> so that's kind of what I was trying to come up with. Man, the old dog just farted. Oh, yeah, stinky. <laughs> um, anyway, so I was like, I got some 550 cord out of my pack. I tied up the back leg to the tree, mm-hmm. you know, opening its legs up as best I could get them. And then I was like, okay, this front one, maybe I kind of rotated his head around so his antlers were like stuck into the ground, you mm-hmm. know, the moss. His head was up because I could turn his his neck. And I was like, I just, I'll get under the front leg and push as hard as I can, yeah. like up. You know, it's like doing a, like the heaviest squat you've ever did in the gym. Yeah. I'm like screaming out in the woods, you know, like by myself, there's this nut just yelling and yeah, I mean, cause I'm like, I don't, well, it was just enough. I moved that thing probably, I wouldn't say moved it, just pushing, prying up on it. Mm-hmm. It allowed the, it kind of slid down the back of that tree or the face mm-hmm. of that tree a little bit. I mean, it was just, yeah, it, was, it was, it was. Enough to Six rotate inches. his body. Yeah. yeah. And it was enough that I could get to his belly. It wasn't ideal, but I could get to it. And so I'm like, all right, I got no headlamp, no this, no none of this stuff. And this is when it was right before dark? Still? This is about, yeah. So, I mean, we're in. this. found it before dark. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm like, dude, I, I don't think I've ever gutted a moose so fast in my life. Like, Because <laughs> my idea was, too, I was like, worst case, if I can't gut it, I'm going to just have to cut the height off the top yeah. and do like what you're Take talking about. Take all the about. meat off Take that side. Take whatever I could get off that side. I had to do that on the first bull I killed with a bow. And it's, I'm just, I didn't really want to do that, but I was like, I'd rather just gut the thing. Mm-hmm. And so what I ended up doing, I ended up gutting it and peeling the height off the top side and just leaving the hide laid out so the meat was exposed. Yep. And it just, dude, the next morning it was so cool. Like Nice, even on the bottom side. Yeah. Nice. It was up by the neck because I didn't quite skin the whole neck out. It was still warm, but it wasn't like hot. Yeah. Like where it cooked the meat or something, mm. you know. Um, But anyway, I, I inreached my brother and because I was like, hey, you want to come help me pack? It wasn't that far of a pack. Yeah. But he, you know, he had told me and I'm like, screw it, dude. If somebody's offering to help. Oh I'm, yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not too gonna, big of a man. Yeah. To... I'm not, I'm not turning it down. Yeah. So he actually left that night. So by the time I got done gutting it, it was like, basically I came out of the woods in the dark mm-hmm. and got back to camp, got a hold of my, well, I'd already messaged my brother just because I was excited too, mm-hmm. but Anyway, he was going to come in the morning, and I'm like, dude, no. Leave tonight. Just leave <laughs> tonight because... Drop what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was it, it, it was, it was good because it was on a Friday. It was the 22nd when I shot it. Nice. And so I was like, it worked out good for him. He didn't have to take off no time from work, mm-hmm. anything like that. And uh, he got there about 3 in the morning. And... Slept for a while. We and we, even me, I slept in because, dude, I did not sleep. I think I was still amped up. Yeah, I didn't sleep and uh, ended up butchering it, packing it out, and getting home. I mean, it was it. The whole last part of it was like not that hard mm-hmm. to be honest. It wasn't. I mean, I've only ever packed well two of my own moose that I've had the pack 
and neither one of them's been really that far. Well, it sounds like you're just smart. <laughs> well, I try. I, dude, I will say I, I don't, I don't enjoy it. No, like I, it's. <laughs> I don't suppose you do. <laughs> no, I mean it's not. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't. I don't. The packet I prefer to do is from here up into the meat trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like growing up, that's how we always did it. Yeah. We, dude, never packing a moose wasn't even in our conversation. Yeah. It was my, like, if you can't get the wheeler to it, we ain't shooting it. It was like, well, my, the very first bull I killed, which I probably told this story, the one that's still to this day the biggest moose I've ever killed when I was 17 years old with my dad and my uncle. Oh, and, this one out here? Yeah, yeah, this one out here. Shot him when he finally like fell down and we saw that he was in, wasn't in a nice meadow, but in about pond. almost hip deep water, <laughs> like inch shy of top of hip boots water. My dad, uh, I think my uncle looked at my dad. He's like, do you have any idea what our dad, you know what our dad would say to us right now? <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> was like, Good luck, boys. Yeah. You know, and yep. he would never, he would never shoot one that my uncle's like, had, we passed up so many moose. His grandpa wouldn't, he's like, dad wouldn't shoot him. Let us shoot him unless we could get the truck to him. Yeah. Well, I. Which they got those pickup trucks, those old Fords like to. They got them into some crazy pla- places that people would probably not believe, but like I got video evidence yeah. of them getting into yeah, I've some. Seen some of, I've seen some of those. Yeah, it's I. I don't know. I think uh, packing a moose isn't that. It's not horrible if you got enough. If you got the n- enough help, yeah. But it's like I was telling somebody. I can't remember if it was today or yesterday talking to somebody about it and. I'm like, he was asking me questions about he hunted in Texas. That's the only place he's ever hunted. Grew up there. No, not Texas. Alabama. And he's like, man, because he asked me, he's like, oh, did you get a moose, you know? And I told him, yeah. And, I, of course, I showed him a couple pictures. And he was like, he was asking about, he's like, man, I'd really like to get me a moose, you know, and all this. And he's asking about, I showed him a picture of it had a quarter on my back, you know, and on my on the on pack frame. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, how heavy are those? And I'm like, well, it, it varies. I mean, on the size of the moose, you know, but I mean, easily over a hundred pounds. Yeah. A big bull. A, a big bull. Yeah. I mean, you're, he's like, holy cow, you know? And I'm like, yeah, you don't want to shoot one very far, like from where you need to get it. Yeah. I said, cause if you think about it, I was like, you know, you got, what, what do you got? Eight trips, seven. I was like, I would if I would just say seven off the cuff, but so I mean, eight trips. Yeah, if if you're going, I mean, you know, I told him I was like, yeah, I hear these guys, you know, oh, we packed a bowl for three miles or whatever. I mean, figure that up. How many miles? miles How you walk? Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't want to pack a bowl over a mile, personally. Yeah, and I never have, and I'm not going to say I never will. I mean, I still I have not broke sixty inch on a bowl yet and i mean i want one one of these days obviously well how big how big was this one you just killed it was a nice bull it was 42 it actually looks bigger in the picture but it's yeah it's 42 right on the money it had three brow tines on one side and two on the other um i think it was a young moose i don't think it was that old of a a moose at all i was definitely on the decline 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, this this was the one I got this year. He was probably a 72-inch bull a couple of years ago, but he just on the decline. (laughs) Every fucking, every, every, every... Yeah, every 45-inch bull I ever see killed. Oh, yep, he's on the decline. decline. (laughs) He's old moose. Old, yeah. I didn't, you know, and I didn't care. I I mean, I I base it always on how much meat's in my freezer. And, like, I didn't shoot a moose last year. My moose hunting plans last year got totally jacked. Yep. Didn't even really hunt. So... I'm like, I want moose in my, you know, Lisa's like, yeah, we're out of moose burger, we're out of this, we're out of that, you know, and I'm like, I just. Oh, you got a best friend there. Yeah. You're a good dog. Oh, moose, he hears you. Yeah. You're a good dog. Moose the dog. Um. So I, I in, in plus two, I think that was, you know, whatever that was, day 16 that I hunted when I shot yeah. the moose. I mean, you've been, yeah. It, so it was gr- like grinding away. It was it. like mentally I was done, dude. I, yeah. I almost was not even going to hunt that next morning. If I didn't kill anything, I was to that point where yeah. I was like, I'm just calling it. You it know? goes to show, man, like sometimes all it, t- well, so many times over the year you do it, you do it long enough. And like, sometimes all it takes is just hanging in there for that little bit longer. But no, that's, yeah. Well, especially doing it with your, well, I mean, bow, rifle, whatever, it's all exciting, man. Oh, like, yeah. I don't, moose is, I, I just am not much of a, I'm kind of an amateur moose hunter. Like, so, so if I can, like anybody, I'd love to kill the big bull. Yeah. But. Yeah, we all would. I like, yeah. But I like meat in my freezer. I like moose meat. Yeah, me too. And I mean, I'm not going to say, I, there are definitely way bigger moose where I was at. Definitely. But, I, I mean, to me, that's the opportunity I got. Oh, it yeah. It was towards the end of the hunt, yep. and I'm like, I'm taking it. Didn't even, as, even didn't though even that bull. think about it. No, <laughs> even though that bull caught me off guard, dude, as soon as he started walking towards me, freaking arrow was on the string. Yep. Like, I'm like, shooting it. I don't, if it was a spike, I would have shot the yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Yep. At that oh, point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I it just boggled my mind how it, it surprised me. Yeah, because just I, being quiet like that, I don't know. So it, it was cool. I, I mean, it was fun and and all that. But the so the that's what your your article about the broadheads. So I spent a lot of time with that bow over the years. I mean, I haven't updated that bow in forever, mm-hmm. and I still don't really have any intentions on it because I'm I'm kind of sick of jacking with stuff. Yeah. Well, it's a it, good bow. It you is. Know? And in that's another thing like people like I mean, I last year I got my first compound in uh in a long time, like 10 years probably well, or more since I Yeah, probably closer to 20 years since I the last compound I bought was in 2004 and I had it for a few years and then got rid of it like I just didn't shoot it that much. But yeah, the world of compounds and like updating stuff is a little out of hand. Yeah, well, and you start talking like your article about broadheads, you know, and you start talking about broadheads, just broadheads. There's so many. There's a lot of good broadheads out there. There's so many different, and most of the broadheads will work just, just fine, fine in yes. most circumstances. Well, here's my here's my thing. People nitpick this crap to death way too much anymore. Well, what if this or what if that or what if, you know? And I'm going, if the thing is 
reasonably durable and it's sharp, it's going to kill. Yeah. And you make a a reasonably good shot. Mm-hmm. It's going to kill. So I think people just... Well, it's like rifles. So I, deal, I see with this a lot with rifles or your favorite pet cartridge. Like we get... People get... And I mean, I'm sure I'm maybe guilty of it sometimes. Like I'm just like everybody else, but uh, people get super emotionally attached to what their favorite thing is. Like, did you see the guy giving me shit about like not including Zwickies, which aren't even a single yeah. bubble broadhead? Yes. So this story is basically a buyer's guide. More, it's not a super in-depth test. Like I did some tests. Like I got all these points. I shot them. Spent time shooting them, sharpening them. Um, you know, some basic testing. Like I'm not gonna to like write about stuff that I have not used. Well, one of my but, thoughts, not to interrupt, but one, yeah. one of my thoughts. So you, you shot into a moose bone, moose leg bone. Yeah. To me, and I saw some comments about. Well, that's not the best, that's not a good test or to this yeah. effect. Yeah. And I'm thinking, kind of true because you're generally not shooting into a moose lake. Boat. No, no. But that's not the point. You're you're testing a broadhead just to see, like, edge retention. I want to see you, what you know, happens. See what happens. I'm I mean, not ex- I saw a picture. Yeah. Some of those things were freaking flat out broken half. Yeah. I'm not you know? expecting, I, I, like, and I took, um, I don't know what bone. <laughs> Basically, the big bone below the ball joint on a moose's scapula, like it's the next section of bone between um, it's like humerus its elbow or whatever, and its between blade. its elbow and its shoulder blade. That's like you know, and up at the top of it, like it's I big. shot, I shot a rage out of my compound. I shot a rage into the ball, the actual like four inch diameter ball of one of them, and I shot a hundred fifty grain cutthroat into the other one, and uh, um. And then the rest of these broadheads, like I shot them into unbroken sections of that bone that's pretty uniform. Like, yeah, it's, it's, I'm not even using it as a comparison tool, but as a, like, it gives you an idea. What happens when I just bury this thing? And it is, and it's a bone that, like, I don't really expect any archery equipment to blow through. Yeah. Because it's just too thick. It's like three inch freaking diameter, huge leg bone. But it was like, it was pretty interesting. Like, yeah, one of, you know, one of them, the tip totally snapped off and it like knocked big chunks out of the edge. Another one, the, uh, that has a welded, which it's kind of like they're, they're good broadheads. They boyers. They boyers. Yeah. They're good. Which broad- I have, I have. Yeah. Some they're of those. good broadheads, but, um, they like, just like anything, they have their weaknesses. And those ones is that the heavy, like it's a heavy duty blade, super sharp. But it's welded to the ferrule in one little weld. That looked like a very thin weld from that picture. It looked, yeah, they're it, laser, like it's laser. So yeah. it may even be just on either side and not like a complete perfect weld. Well, that's like the cutthroat broadheads that RMS gear makes. Like that's what um, it was. Tommy Clum was shooting an a, a Boyer when he, he hit a moose rib or something and just right and snap that weld and i'm not like i think like i wouldn't have any qualms hunting with them but no. i was kind of just a, a, a like an unreasonably difficult test like i wanted 
bone that the broadheads are going to go into and see how they act because it's not even like like shooting con- like a cinder block it might show you how tough or not tough the broadhead is to just frontal impact yeah but it doesn't like there's weird things happen when that broadhead actually goes into stuff like the iron wills another like premium super tough broadhead the bleeder blades are curled over from when they go they go from the rotation in the rotation when it goes into that like oh, when something it's, hard when it's which it's you, not going to burying do, into that bone yeah but it's not going to do that if it's in the meat no, technically no yeah. like any like and that's like but a you're catastrophic just, but you're, I just wanted to see what would happen you're, to them yes you're trying to see the like a failure point basically yeah. i mean and and that's where I just I go back to I think people nitpick the stuff a little bit. I'm not saying you. I'm just I was reading some of yeah. the comments and I'm like just like I said, semi durability, sharp. I mean, even as uh, the Zwicky. Yeah. The thing, there's still guys that kill stuff no, with those Zwickies every are, freaking Zwickies year. are good. Well, and so what he's referencing is a guy was like basically pissed off because he like it's like, oh, it's just an opinion. Zwicky's as good as anything. And I'm like, well, Zwicky's are great heads. Yeah. They've killed a ton of stuff, and they can continue to kill a ton of stuff. But it's not opinion to say that, like, an Iron Will or a Helix or a Cutthroat is a an objectively better. better broadhead yeah. in these areas, you know. Well, they're I better may, steals. Like, like, I may like, yeah, I'm like, an opinion is to be like, you know, Zwickies are my favorite, and there's nothing wrong with that. They're great broadheads, yeah. but it's not an opinion to say they're like they're the steel isn't as good as well thought out as like some of these tool steel like highly refined tool steel broadheads. The manufacturer they're they're stamped sheet metal spot welded yep. broadheads, um, and they like they just have weaknesses. So yeah. that kind of pissed. <laughs> <laughs> so I went out here and I grabbed one, put it on an arrow. I didn't even have any of the heavy bones. I had scapulas. So I was like, well, I'll just shoot it at the base of the scapula where it's a little bit thicker. Not even like super thick bone. And it just like destroyed the broadhead. <laughs> like, yeah. Big surprise. Yeah. Well. I was I, like, this I, yeah, this is not opinion. But in, in other ones, like there are like, there's a lot of good broadheads out there that are just fine. Every single one of them has drawbacks and. Yeah. Strengths and, and weaknesses. potential yeah. weakness, weakness. Well, I was actually a little surprised with the Iron Will and the test that you did. Wait, well, I, I shouldn't say surprised. Once I got to thinking about it, I was like, I could see that shooting the Iron Will into that heavy of bone, it chipping. Yeah, like it's a well, it's, it's a very hard steel. It's a little bit more brittle steel, yeah, than, than which the like the cutthroat didn't. Yeah, the, did so in the the wide cut cutthroat didn't really chip it rolled the edges it shot like completely up like the entire blade buried in the bone and this is like in the leg bone section and the edge on the wide cut rolled but it was still both that and the iron will frankly were both still serviceable broadheads you could take some work to get them back to where you really really wanted to but there's no like catastrophic damage at all um the 150 grain that I shot into like the solid bone for, you know, out of my compound. Cause most of these I was shooting with my recurve, but I shot a couple out of my compound into that, you know, like super heavy ball. 
I had to take a chisel and like break that bone apart to get the broad that out. 150 out. And the 150 still shaved. Like there's no damage. Like I couldn't find any damage to it at all. Um, not so, like, you know, like, and yeah, you, you hit this bone, clip that bone. It's going to be, things are going to be a little different each time. And I'm not like that steel, even the, the S7 cutthroats are a little bit more resilient to rolling, but it's all tool steel. It's like, it's a balance between. Is the, is the S7 a little harder? I think it is a little harder, but it's like, it's a really, um, and S7 is kind of like popular for broadheads now, but it's, it's a really like vibration and impact resistant steel. Um, and that's the balance is like you balance softness and like impact resistance versus brittleness. Um, and none of them are perfect, but yeah, all those, all those are good. So it, yeah, and every hit's going to be a little different. One thing that was interesting is that iron will was like tended to, like I shot it a couple times and it tended to bounce, like unless I got, until I got like a direct hit in the middle of the bone, it kind of bounced off the edge, which in, in like glance and glanced off and would ding the edge a little bit with just cutting through like edges of that hard bone. But, uh, so do you think, but that could be a positive too, you know, if, if it's, if it's a little bit more blunt and not. That's what I was going to say. Do you think that's because of that design? It's a little more blunt on the end? It could be, or it was just that I was not shooting very well and it was just catching like the very edge, outside edges of blades. Um, Like, so there's a lot more to be done. I was talking to one, one of my, like my John Snow, our actual rifle shooting editor. We were talking about, we would like, and we're trying to get better and better um, in our different tests. Like we've, you know, we're, be able to be more thorough in our rifle and handgun testing. And we're just trying to like refine stuff and it would be nice. Like, it'd be nice if we have the time to come up with like a little bit more like standardized, a like testing a, scenarios. like a Petzl's like ballistic <laughs> Buffalo type of thing. Not that where it's just, you're shooting it through oh, a sheet of sheet metal or, you know, a bunch of different mediums, but like what's a medium where you, you know, you can have, a unif in the all the goal is always like like how can you get the most uniform like torture testing but also yeah. tell some penetrations where you're gonna have uniform like you know do you have like pack like a layer you know four inch thick cavity of marbles that it shoots through? you know I yeah. I don't know but uh, it's, well it's interesting anyway what I, like what did you shoot well so what that's what I was kind of leading up to with that was the I am a fan of the cutthroats too. Mm-hmm. And I haven't always shot those. I mean, I've shot a different variety of some things. I've shot the A Boyers. Yeah. I've shot Zwickies. This now this is what's traditional. Now I did my cow moose that I shot. I shot that. I'm pretty dang sure. I have to go back and look, but I was surprised with that A Boyer a little bit. Was it the A Boyer or the Grizzly? It was that a was I. It was the A Boyer because I actually bought A Boyers before before I ever even had a Grizzly. Yeah. They're like a long time like yeah classic and, premium head. And to yeah. me, they looked. That was when I was looking at those broadheads because they were uh, not a laminated steel like the Grizzly mm-hmm. was. Yep. I was like, oh, this is machined, but I never even thought about the weld. Yeah. Back then, and but my cow moose that I shot. With the recurve, because you shot her like broke it, through it that. It broke through shoulder, yeah. part of that bone. It probably wasn't in that biggest ball part. 
it was down a little lower, but it broke through that and it didn't break that broadhead. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that was an A Boyer because I didn't have I don't think any Grizzlies at that time. But I'm not saying that that and those were early on too. Yeah. Like I mean, heck, that was I mean, that had to have been 15 years ago or more, 18 years ago. I remember talking to the guy that had a Boyer, you know. I mean, he was a cool – he was asking me. He's like, oh, you're from Alaska. He's He was asking me all about Sarah Palin. Oh. <laughs> That's all he wanted to talk about was Sarah Palin. It was pretty interesting. But anyway, <laughs> so the moose this year, I've, I've kind of – I've experimented. You know, I was hunting with Nick one time, and he shot this caribou with an expandable. I have never been an expandable fan. I always talked crap about him, but I never, and I think I've mentioned this before, I never shot one. Yeah. Just because I, I just look at them and I'm like, flimsy pieces of crap, you know? And, but I saw him shoot, the, me and him were caribou hunting. He shoots this caribou, and I mean, dude, this devastation on this thing. Like, the blood from it was just insane. I was like, holy cow. So it got me thinking. And I was just like, I'm going to at least try. I can't talk crap without trying these things. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't shot an animal with an expandable yet. Still haven't. But I have tuned them to my bow. I carry three broadheads in my quiver now. Um, I carry one expandable, two cutthroats, and two um, slick trick four blades. Yeah. You know, replaceable. Those are good, yeah. They yeah. are a good broad. I've actually probably killed, well, at this point, I don't know if I've killed more with the cutthroats. Between the cutthroats and those four blade slick tricks is basically what I've shot most my bow kill animals yeah. with. Um, so this moose, the very first shot that I missed was a cutthroat. Lost it. Don't know where it went. The twenty yard shot of that moose was with a four blade mm-hmm. slick trick, and the sixty yard shot was with a cutthroat. And I'll show you the pictures when we get off here. I don't, you may have seen them, but you can tell in those pictures. I mean, and there's the spacing is only that far apart yeah. between the two of them. But you can tell the four blade and the two blade. Mm-hmm. But I was actually surprised to see the holes almost looked. I guess they're, you know, the four blade has probably more, I guess, surface area than mm-hmm. it cut. But you almost can't tell. Which one like bled more? You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Well, in in and, some circumstances, and, the four, and, and like, the and the four blade, the the slick trick four blade, it went through a rib on the end on the entry side. Mm-hmm. It it hit a rib, went through it, and on the exit side, it was between ribs. The yeah. cutthroat was totally between ribs. It didn't hit any bone at all. Yeah. It's uh. And know, both were sharp. I wouldn't say they were as sharp as I'd like them, but in a pinch, I would still I'd, I'd shoot them oh, again. Oh, after do, after you picked after, them up. This okay. is after, yes. Yeah. No, they. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, I I've always had good, like reasonably good blood with the cuts. Like some people like claim. Uh, I know. I know. Like some of the double bevel points in, in with a. Especially double bevel because they don't, they're not twisting. You don't get an S shaped yeah. cut that like they can pop back together. Close. Especially bears are kind of a spe- I mean, a lot, a lot of the animals I've killed with my bar bears. And I, 
it's almost like they don't count a little bit because you can never really count on them having good good blood trails. Good blood trails. I don't think I've ever had a good blood trail on a bear. The best blood trail I think I've ever had was the stone arrowhead. Um, but uh, or with like those wide cut cutthroats. So cut I haven't really. I haven't nasty I, holes. I want to try those because I need to order. I need to order some yeah. more broadheads. I like to have a stockpile. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, I'll give you. Oh, well, depending on what size you, I, I've I got shoot two hundred grainers. So there. I shoot the one fifty. That's okay. What I, they have one fifty wide cuts. I think. So I shoot the one fifties, but I'm using that ethics archery system too. So I think I'm actually at one hundred and seventy five grains total up front. Yeah. In which all this you know, to say, like all these different, all like stuff. in in my story, and like part of like being able to carry three different broadheads is having like. The importance of having your, not only like just, you say, quote unquote, tune in your bow, but like having your arrow at the proper length, using the proper point weight to be flying straight, like act, yes. not just being, having poor flight hidden by, by, cause that like with the classic, you go to bow hunter at whatever class, and, oh, you got to sight in your, your bow for your broadheads, you know, instead of your field points. It's like, well, you're shooting an arrow that's not tuned. When your arrow and bow are like properly tuned, you're, you're going to have the same impact, like with 150 grain cutthroats. So I know nothing about well, tuning compounds and, um, went over to Screaming Eagle and, um, Andrew last year helped me, like we just went over there before it opened one morning and we like paper tuned my compound. He got, he like, he knows such a, like, he's good, really good at working yeah. on bows and like set my cam lean and offset all that, you know, voodoo stuff. And, uh, and we figured out how my bow reacts through paper, you know, how it shows weak and stiff. Cause I know that, like, I know weak and stiff from shooting a recurve. Like that's like a big part of tuning. Um, you know, what your whether it's shooting through paper or how it sticks out of a target. Um, you know, you, you, how your, your arrow behaves if it's, if it's acting too weak or acting too stiff and how to fix that, like cut down the shaft. I've got an arrow saw and mm -hmm. stuff like cut down the shaft or increase point weight, whatever, reduce point weight. Um, so I tuned the, yeah, like, you know, tuned a set of arrows to 150 greens. And I had the 150 cutthroats shooting, I mean, within like a couple inches of my field points at 75 yards or 80 or well, whatever. It's now I can't quite 80, but like 75, 76 mm -hmm. yards <laughs> as far as my little range back here goes. But, uh, so that, and then, you know, and then you, when you're with a tuned arrow for a set, you can use different points of the same weight and you'll it, have the same impact. And and that's and that's why I'm shooting what I'm shooting now. I spent I spent a lot of freaking time a couple you know probably 4 4 years ago getting my bow cuz I do most of my own bow tuning anymore. Mm -hmm. All my own work on it, on it. And I used to always think kind of what you said, you know, like you got to get your, you know, sight your bow with your broadheads type thing. Yeah. Because I would always get some variants. Yeah. And so I've never actually had a bow ever that was a lot, mm -hmm. but not they like a few quite, inches. Yeah. But, but yeah, there there were some differences. So I really worked or if hard. You see your broadheads do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I there was a like I said it may, it may have been five years ago. I spent a lot of time. 
and this is why I don't want to change anything. I feel like this bow that I have right now is the best shooting bow I've ever had. And it's not just, it's not because of the bow itself. It's the arrow combination, the tuning, everything just jives. It just works. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to change it. Like, yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> and, and, but that's why I can shoot all three, all three of those arrows. They're the same arrows, same weights, but one's an expandable, uh, hypodermic, uh, plus it's their 125 grain. Yeah. That's the expandable. Now, granted, I haven't killed an animal with it, but I, I, bit, I shoot it into targets. Yeah. When I was tuning all this stuff, those arrows will hit the exact same spot. All three of those arrows with them broadheads on them. And like you said, to your point, and that's kind of what I was saying, my comment on your thing about the tuning, you know, without writing a whole gosh dang story. Yeah, you're shooting yourself. You're not going to gain the benefit of using any broad, like certain type of broadhead, if you're not, <laughs> if if you're not, your arrows aren't tuned. Yes, and so I never thought that was actually possible until I did this on my own. And and like I said, it took a lot of work. It really did to to get it to that point. But that's why I don't want to mess with it. I'm I'm probably. I'm looking at putting a new string on that bow next year, and I'm like, I don't even, I don't even want to touch it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, do I wait and just wait till it starts like Fraying creeping, or, or yeah. you know, creeping on me or something where it's stretched a little bit or something before I touch it? But I've had that happen before, and literally it happened right before hunting season. And then I'm like, I'm in this scrambling, like, yeah. panic mode to get the dang thing set up. But anyway, I just thought that was a. My my thought on the broadheads is like, there's so many of them that'll work just fine, and I think people just overthink it. I, I, my thought is is like, get your arrows set up properly and your bow and them tuned to your bow. Yeah, and, and and just get a decent broadhead. I like the iron wheels. I just cannot, I can't choke up that kind of. I don't know that I would the, be able the to money. Either. That's like, dude, I've got three dozen arrows set up at home. I mean, I'm at with broadheads. Thinking about doing that with iron wheels. I mean, that's yeah. Well, just think about losing one. <laughs> yeah, you know that it, it's it, it's like a certain you know if that's what gives a person confidence and they can afford like for for what I the benefit I would receive from them like yeah I'm pro I'm gonna go with something like a cutthroat. Well, to me, know? best and bang it, for your buck and quality. This, in my opinion, on this, just from my experience of shooting them now for for a while. I think best bang for your buck and quality is a cutthroat. I've never shot those kudus. They've always looked very interesting to me. Yeah. They look like a pain in the butt to sharpen. I yeah. I know you mentioned that a little bit. Same thing. Or the helix. Like, or the helix, Because the kudus yeah. are similar, but they're rounded. Okay, Which yeah. looks even tougher to sharpen than the helix. Like, And that was one thing that was kind of eye-opening. Like, the helixes I got, like, were not sharp. They're supposed to be sharp but they all have burrs on the edge. And I didn't even, like, I just messed with one. And it's, like, it's they're stainless. It's harder steel to sharpen. Like, you got to work at it to get them. Like, you can. And once a good single bevel head is sharp, sharp, like, they're easier to keep sharp. Yeah, yeah um, it just takes a light touch-up. Yeah, they're or back. just stropping. Yeah. Like, stropping. And especially, that's an advantage of, like, you know, cutthroats that they're, like, carbon steel or... Like the Grizzlies, 
like as you can get them just stupid sharp yeah, with a with a with a especially if you can reset the edge with either a KME jig or a like a work sharp like I have a this sharpener that's like it clamps the blade like a like a wasabi knife sharpener mm-hmm. or whatever and then you you set the angle and you can just very precise and consistent angle to like reset the edge and then strop it and get it real polished up um cuz I mean I think for me that like just having a just a stupid sharp, sharp. blade yeah. even if it's you know there may be advantages to using one style or another if you have just a ridiculously sharp blade like that just it it it's money in the bank i mean it it makes a big difference i mean they just go through go through animals like yeah. like they're not even there well and i think even the white even the like big fat wide cut ones you know i just get them so stupid scary sharp you know I shot that caribou with a wide cut and that was not an ideal shot i you know, it was quartering to me and I was trying to hit it just right in the front shoulder and just shot high and high and back a little bit and <coughs> was put to the point where, yeah, this is my one caribou with a bow. <laughs> so, um, uh, it was the point where like the arrow disappeared and I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> but when he turned around, I see where the arrow's hanging out and just blood every, just gushing blood everywhere. I'm like, yeah, that was, it'll be okay. Yeah. But, uh. Well, my thought with like the iron wheels, I like, I like the idea of the bleeder blades. Yeah. And I really wish there was a way they could make a cutthroat with a bleeder blade. I would buy that thing in a heartbeat. You know, yeah. obviously costs would be more. And I know the cost of those have went up yeah. from what they use. I mean, the last time I bought them. I mean, I think they've went up twenty bucks a, a pack now. Yeah, from they're what, pretty, they, what yeah, they were. They're not but, cheap. But I like the idea of the bleeder blade, and, uh, and the only reason I say that is probably because of bears. Yeah, because I've shot a number of bears too with the just to throats. knock a bigger have a, have a, have a, a little bit more stays hold, open yes. a little bit bigger. Yeah, and and uh, that would be my only not even really a gripe. It's not a gripe. It's just. A wish, yeah. wish list, I guess. Well, and like, you know, those, you know, got brought up, those trifectas, which I'd never even heard I, of them. I've, I haven't either. They, it's interesting. I kind of want to get a hold of some of them because I guess they use the same, you know, it says they have a stainless, they're all stainless, and all the models use the same ferrule. There's like, and just swap blades, like some of them are mechanical, some of them are fixed. They don't have anything over, I think, 150 or 160 grain. But they all use a, and supposedly have this, they're all single bevel, even the mechanical ones. But they uh, supposedly have a very thick main blade. And then the front of them is led with like a tiny, it's like, it's like the bleeder, something like the bleeder blade on an iron wheel. Is the leading edge Edge that opens everything up enough for the point to slide through and catch the next blades. And one of the tests of those, like, that a guy did, I mean, they seem to be very durable and fly well. I'm sure they're just fine. I Like, I have some, you know, if I was, like, nitpicking, like, differences between what I already like and those, like, I've got some questions, like, some things I would want to try out, but they look like pretty good heads. They seem, like, suspiciously cheap, Um, although they're all sold out, too, when I... Went and looked. I was going to order some, but um, yeah. 
No, the biggest thing that like having a super sharp broadhead, tuned equipment, yeah, and just picking good shots. Like, um, I don't know what made me think. Well, the the bear, I, I lost. So I lost one black bear this year. Unfortunately, I just like my shooting was not in the field. Just I just wasn't great this year. So. I just shot this bear just like... You got tainted by the compound. Just tainted by the compound. (laughs) I started using one of those last year, and then, yeah. So, well, I got tainted by the 6.5 Creedmoor because I took my kid bear hunting, and then, um, yeah, I went and shot that grizzly with that rifle, and then had my recurve in tow, you know, and black bear hunting with that. But the the bear I lost, I just shot. I just hit him a little too low and ended up, like, armpitting him, hitting him too Mm. low and far forward and... It didn't even kill him. I'm pretty convinced anyway. I followed him for a few hundred yards, and he never even stopped. Like, it, he got to the point where you could see blood was dripping, but he, like, he stopped, like, on top of a log once where there was, like, some accumulation. Yeah. And then it was just, like, drip, 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 just walking. And the bears are I've shot enough pretty bear- tough. Yeah, well, I mean, they- I've shot enough bears to know where, and, I like, I tried, people don't believe you. But I'm like, it's if you're gonna if you're gonna like fudge your shot on a bear, it's better to have it high and back than low and forward because there ain't nothing low and forward. Yeah, it's just one of those like the only really it's probably the only bears I've seen lost or almost the only bears I've seen lost. You know, I've done over the years. I've it's happened to me twice, and I've seen it happen to my dad. Some other, you know, a few other bears where you just hit them too low and forward and you don't, there's nothing there. Like you, the way their, their brisket doesn't stay down low and come out like a, a moose, moose or a sheep or, or a yeah. caribou or something like that. It's like really like sweeps up yeah. between their shoulders. So it's like, unless you get like their, their, what's vital between their shoulders is really pretty skinny. Um, anyway, so, I mean, that sucked. I hate, I hate well, yeah. anytime that anytime happens, you, but. Any- but, but that stuff the next happen, though, and so. the next one wasn't like the greatest shot either, but it wasn't really that far off. I don't know if I like I'll show you, but and I got a little bit like bear sitting down, and I'm like, all right, well, his shooter that there was a big old sow. It was actually the bear that came in when I was waiting for that grizzly. That I'm like, oh, I don't know why I'm not shooting this bear. Like this is a nice bear, and uh, sitting there, and but like. It's funny because you watch you play the two you watch the two videos and be like, all right, one of these bears, pretty convinced, didn't even die, and uh, the other one was dead in twenty like twenty five yards, and you know because the the one looks like the more traditional and this one like it, it's a little high and back it came, it went through the back of both lungs it came out the bottom of the rib cage, just a little far back, and yeah that bear ran twenty yards and fell over. Hmm. Well, I, that's been my experience with bears too. If you hit them good, they die pretty fast. Yep. Usually, I mean, and I've lost a couple bears too. I've lost a black bear and two grizzlies. Well, you, you know, and it's you it's, do it enough, like it freaking just just gonna happen. Yeah. It well, and I it, like I said, bears have been a uh, the grizzlies. I know. I'm pretty convinced that I know the first one died. Yeah. But it went in the river. Yeah. The second one, I don't know that it died 100%, but it also went in the river. 
and that I compli- never, it complicates things it, quickly. It does, <laughs> and I'm like, anymore, I'm about ready to quit trying to shoot a grizzly bear next to a river. Yeah. I'm like, I need to keep them away from the water. But yeah, those were, and that one I had on video. That's that second one, whatever year that was. It's been a while now, but Dylan videoed it, and I thought it was a good shot. But after looking at the video, I'm, I was like, oh, I don't know if the, how good of a shot. Well, and that, that was, and that you know? shows you, you know, sometimes how it was like my the one I killed with the stone point was that's that was the other bear, which like ironically, like no fault of the stone point, I just shot a little low on the first one. It was a, one of the, you know it was one of those shots where was, I've got that on video too, where I'm like, ooh, that was low. But I'm like, but the arrow went through him. It was like. Either he's going to be dead in a hundred yards, or that bearing dead. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, and the the one I actually killed, I hit him exactly where I was aiming. But you get, I got so I was amped up enough that yeah, that bear was turned like facing me a little more than I thought he was. Yeah. Yeah, talking about the old recurve, I'm I got the itch again, so I may this winter start doing. I'm, I'm basically, I've been, I was thinking about this moose hunting by myself. Yeah. I had a lot to think about. So <laughs> I was just, I don't know. I got the, I got the hankering again to get back on the old recurve and start again. We'll see where that goes, but I'm starting at ground zero. I'm a hundred percent at ground zero if I do it. And I've made up my mind too. Um, if I do anything, I'm probably not going to hunt anything except for a black bear over bait. Yeah. So I'm close and I'm, I'm kind of just limiting myself. Is yeah. What I'm doing. So even if I'm not, maybe not perfectly refined, I'm I'm hoping at least I'm good enough at those kind of distances. Yeah. That I, could, I don't know. We'll see. But I got the whole winter. That's kind of my goal this winter. One of the things that I'm going to, because I won't be able to ride my bike, you know? So. Yeah. Well, one thing that I like, seemed like <clears throat> shooting that compound helps me in some ways shoot like some it helps some aspects of my shots like shooting a recurve like slowing down and like really segmenting the shot process because it's easier to do with a compound you know yeah. if you don't have this like the full weight and it's not quite as stressful on your body yeah. you know you can mentally separate the parts of your shot a little easier into different steps and yeah it, you, just, not, you just shoot better like yeah it that doesn't seem you, like a compound is as fluid of a of movements, I guess. Yeah. It's almost kind of like, I hate to say stuttery. No. You know, but, you know, it's, I guess, slowed down is the best. Like yeah, said, it's slowed down. Term. It's easy. It's easier for you mentally to be like, all right. Because the more, like, you more, the farther you draw, like, the closer you're getting to full draw on that recurve, the more weight you're holding, the more just stress your body's yeah. under. So you're going to, like, the the more, anxi- like, you're subject to anxiety and, like, got to get rid of this shot. It's, it's, like, it's a challenge. It's not easy to, but you always, like, you will shoot better when you can separate your shot mentally into different jobs. I mean, it's one, like, a way yeah. I would describe it. and And then... You know, because, it, 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 because, and I think a lot of people got ruined by the whole, like, quote unquote, instinctive shooting. Like, I aim instinctively at close distances, but the whole instinctive, like, be the barrow yeah. type of shit yeah. where, like, 
because it's so it be it is like a, it's a more fluid appearing like it's still important to separate these different jobs into like for accuracy and consistency about what you're doing yeah and consistency to like cuz otherwise i mean that's how guys get to where like you can't even pull the draw you can't even get to full draw before your the string flies like you, you shoot you you cannot control it yeah well um, i and that's I, like in coming from like that's where after not long, you know, within a year or two of starting to shoot a recurve, that's where I was at. Like I could not even get the thing to full draw without shooting. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of. I'm what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a set of twenty pound limbs for that, that light bow. Because mm-hmm. I, I when I bought it, I got thirties, and I thought, yeah. oh, that'll be light enough. Well, with my issues that I've got, <laughs> I don't think that's even light enough. That's why I'm. Like, yeah, I'm going to go to twenties. Well, and from and, what I and from what I remember too, like yeah, it's. I can't get you had a hard time I, relaxing. I can't like, get into, into my back fully, yeah. and so I'm I'm pulling with my bicep. Yep. And I I remember Tom just being like, "Dude, relax, relax, relax." <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, "I can't. I, I am can't. relaxed." <laughs> He's what like, are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I I already know that's like the number one thing I need to work on. I think the other stuff will come to me a little bit better, but that. That's the main problem that I have. I mean, how to correct it, I don't know just yet. Well, and it could just be and, it could just be the matter of like the way you're thinking about a certain part of the movement that gets you like tied into those muscles and I mean like we're like super nerding out on the archery stuff, but like I'm trying to think of a good example. Like through the whole, yeah, through the whole process, even just like, like setting a little bit of tension in your back and really feeling like when you raise the bow, like just rotating your upper body to get into the, like getting into the brace. And then just the simple motion of like using your back to just come, it's just totally, it's not intuitive. So doing that though, and this is another thing I'm, I was, cause I've, I thought about this when I was moose hunting, I was kind of like going back to what I'd been doing and kind of just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And something that kind of uh, kept coming back to my mind was, wouldn't the alignment to the target, your, your I guess, uh, when I say alignment, your body alignment, I guess, to the target. Because I remember when you when I was drawing the bow, your, your bow's not even facing the target. No, it's like point, if you're right-handed, like your arrow is pointing way to the left of the yes. target. Yeah. And what I was wondering, I got to thinking, I was like, well, maybe I, maybe I, that alignment was part of my issue. Like when I come into that, that rotation, like the rotation, I guess. Yeah. If I remember correctly, where you're bringing that, when you come back in that rotation, that's when it aligns onto the target. Yep. Is that like right? basically when you, cause right you, when you come back, when, when like, you're you transfer, they call it like transfer, transfer to hold to right. your holding position is like the last little bit. And then it's like, once you're in holding, then you aim and then you, then you mentally switch over to increasing tension, tension. in, in and the right direction. And then the shot goes, I'll give you a book I got. It's called, uh, it's like, it's, Kissick Lee's book that I thought was like, especially going along with Tom's Is he like that Olympic, the Olympic, you know, he's the Olympic coach. Yeah. Okay. Who like developed all this. And it's the same info that Tom, like this is, 
The book's a little older, but it was very helpful, and there's a lot of things explained in there that, like, components that make sense, especially if you got, like, solid archery mechanics um, to go through and, uh, and you know, like, have both sets of information. You would probably find it interesting. Like, I, I thought it was really interesting reading through that. Well, I guess why I was asking that was, like, when you come into that whole transfer to hold position, if your alignment to the target is not correct oh yeah you're you're could that i guess what i'm wondering is could that cause maybe not you're you're not all the way into transfer to hold because you're trying to like line up on the target yeah you you see what i'm saying oh yeah yeah i don't know if i'm explaining it very good but no that that makes sense yeah if if part of that you know part of that's out of whack then it's tough to make it happen then you're trying to force trying to force it when and that's really, why i'm like, wondering if that's any force in it to be had if yeah you, when you're doing it i don't know quote unquote correctly <coughs> but i don't know i know we can get in the weeds with that but yeah I, it's something that i'm gonna i want to i've always had that a desire but it's just like man it's like it's time and it's you know yeah we, oh, we yeah. talk about a deep beat a dead horse with that whole subject but I still and en- I, I just I just want to I still want to be better at it and do it. So I'm gonna this winter. That's just one of my goals. I'm gonna try to work on that. If it, if I'm not ready, I'm not ready. This is how it is. But yeah, well, I'm wanting to shoot shoot a bunch at least here in the garage or go. You know, times that I can peel away to go actually shoot um, over the winter. It'd be just, nice. I haven't shot like until this fall. Like you know, doing stuff and I can recover it pretty quickly, but. Um, yeah, I had I have not shot my bow at all. I've I've shot approximately eighteen thousand rounds of ammunition <laughs> this summer in about a million BBs, but no, not not much in the archery. Yeah, well, it's stuff. hard to, it's hard to keep up on all the. Yep, like you said, when you, when you just like well, like you see doing squirrels too everywhere, much stuff, man. It's yeah, like, that's it's it's you got to chase them. Yeah, it's really hard, but for sure, but. uh Anyway, we'll we'll let you let you get out of here, but good, yeah, good catching yep. up with you, man. Always always good to see you, and yeah, it was fun. And yeah, I wish Frank could have come over tonight. It would have been cool too to tease him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll definitely have to. We'll have some have some resin, but uh, he's the trophy hunter of the bunch. So oh, I know he he told me, and I was <laughs> I was laughing. I was like. Someone's He's like, I'm like, not a trophy hunter. I'm like, yeah, you are. You're being one. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Someone's like, see her sheep's like, how come Frank always kills the big one? I was like, well, I guess he's a better hunter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's cool. No, uh, nothing wrong with that. She'll looking at the, like, Connor cleaned up my sheep's goal this year already. It's a significantly bigger ram than I than the last two I've killed. So, and it's you know nine year old ram, mature ram. That's what's kind yep. of important to me. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a nice looking sheep. Both them two you guys got were they're uh, we needed those ones. <laughs> that was a couple rough years. So yeah, for sure. Yep. All right. Well, we'll just shut this down if. Uh, 
you enjoy Tundra Talk, I appreciate it if you leave a good review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen on. And uh, if you got to leave a bad one, that's okay too. <laughs> or if you have uh, comments or questions, email uh, podcast at tundratalkak.com. Thanks.